0: I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr.
1: Future.
2: And I'm Tom. Uh, This is a serious show this week, so no funny stuff. Bionic.
1: Amen. And it's very important in it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very controversial to some of our listeners, but it's a show that needs to be done. Uh, when we've are got, we not
2: though? I mean, really? What's that? When are we not controversial? Well,
1: uh, this is, this, this pegs a meter. Uh, we've got with us this week Philip Turney, uh, who is the co-author of the book What I Saw That Day, and we'll be joined also by his shipmate, Ron Kukal, mm-hmm. uh, who were on board the USS Liberty, uh, that was actually uh, had a sneak attack on it by the Israeli forces in mm-hmm. June 1967, attempted to sink it. And our topic this week is the alarming realities behind the U.S. Liberty incident. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a topic that some Americans would like not to think about. It. Many don't know. I like
2: the, the I like the title of his book, "What I Saw That Day," because mm-hmm. he was there and he
1: was there saving people's lives. Mm-hmm. The Christian community is silent on it. And, uh, probably because the, the evidence will make them very uncomfortable, but that's why we cover it. So, yep. no further ado, here's Philip Turney and Ron Kukal from the USS Liberty, and then we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future.
2: And I am Tom. Uh, got my game face on for this one, cause we got this a very serious discussion we're gonna have today. Bionic.
1: And uh, I'm glad you are. I know you're feeling a little under mm-hmm. the weather today because we have a, a critically important interview. It is one that that will make some part of our audience very, very uncomfortable. But it should be one that when they lay in bed at night, they should be thinking about this, what we talk about, mm-hmm. and really mull over what the Lord has to say to them. Uh, today we have uh, Philip Turney, who was the co-author of What I Saw That Day. Uh, we're going to be talking about his experiences on board the USS Liberty, along with Ron Kukol, uh, who also was on board that day, two survivors of the USS Liberty naval ship that was attacked uh, in 1967 by Israeli forces, and we're going to talk about the alarming realities behind the USS Liberty incident, something that every Christian needs to know about and ponder upon, uh, the significance of where they stand in their view of the world and faith. Uh, Mr. Turney, I want to thank you and Mr. Kukal for taking time to appear on our show and for gener- generously letting us review this important book you've co-authored with Mark Glenn about your personal experiences as eyewitnesses on the scene as your lives were nearly taken aboard the USS Liberty uh, during the sneak attack and experience in June 1967. And I want to thank you both of you gentlemen for being with us today. Uh, well,
3: thank, uh, you, uh, Mike, thank you, Mike, for, for having us on.
4: Yeah. Thank you, uh, uh, Mark. I, this is Phil, and 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 the other one is Ron. So I guess we got our voices straightened <laughs> okay. out. Okay. Uh, well, I I, uh, I I it's an extreme pleasure to be on your radio program for uh, the, the chaplain of the association and and myself, uh, both eye eyewitnesses to uh, a horrible horrible day on June 8, sixty seven, and uh, I I just uh, want want your listeners to know that. Uh, I'm, I'm very uh, much uh, uh, enthralled in the uh, the hand of God. I know God saved us that that day, and Ron I, and I we've talked about this so many times about why we were alive and why we're here today, and why we're talking to you. I think is part of his part of his path mm-hmm. to uh, righteousness and justice to to uh, get this story out.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that and. Uh... Uh, brother Ron, I know, um, you're, you're under some a dubious connection on a, a cell phone line where you are and has uh, some family crisis issues come up today that you're dealing with family matters. We thank you making the extra effort to join us and, uh, we send our best wishes out to you and, uh, things you're dealing with there and, uh, um, but we, we appreciate you joining us anyway. We know we may lose you with signal, and we may have to reconnect you. Um, I'm going to address a lot of the questions directly to Mr. Turney. And, uh, Rod. I want you just to dive in when you have some information that you want to share as well, too, if that's Okay. Uh, That's fine. So just just add your two cents when you see fit. Uh, sometimes it gets hard to referee. Sometimes when we have a a four man tag team here on on Future Quake, but I know we'll manage just fine. And you all worked as teammates uh, on that ship uh, that very day when you needed it, and I certainly know you can do that now. Uh, to begin our discussions today, uh, uh, starting with Mr. Turney, could you tell our audience briefly about your position in the U.S. Navy? Uh, while you were on board the USS Liberty, uh, and tell us a little bit about some of the awards you had while you were in military service and some positions you served related to uh, this subject even after you left the military, and uh, the same thing with Mr. Mr. Kukal afterwards.
4: Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, I joined the Navy in, in uh, 1964, and uh, I made uh, two trips to Vietnam And uh, how I got aboard the Liberty, only God knows, uh, because I went from one coast to the other. I went from the Pacific coast to the Atlantic coast, to uh, uh, Virginia, uh, Norfolk, Virginia, where uh, the USS Liberty was home ported. Uh, I reported uh, to the USS Liberty in late 1965, probably uh, October, uh, maybe September, something like that. And my position uh, aboard the USS Liberty was in engineering. Mm -hmm. And our job was specifically to uh, make sure that the communications technicians, uh, which Ron was a communication technician, that uh, their every want and need uh, was taken care of. Because that was our main mission. Mm-hmm. Now I must say that when I first got aboard the USS Liberty, she was a strange-looking uh, bird. I've never seen a ship like it in my life. And uh, I reported aboard and started getting or asking questions about what we did and why we did it and so on and so forth. And everything that I ever got from anybody, especially the communications technicians, who really didn't want to talk to ship's company. Not because we disliked each other; it's just because of the position they were in and the position that that uh, I was in, and ship's company, and him being a, uh, well, a spy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was told that uh, we mapped the bottom of the ocean, and I thought, wow, that's very strange to have <laughs> yeah. all these antennas looking straight up at the up at the moon and the stars. And we're mapping the bottom of the ocean. But uh, you know, as I I was a young kid, I said, "Oh, okay. I guess if that's the way they do it, that's the way they do it." And uh, I became very uh, uh, interested in uh, damage control, firefighting, uh, repel borders, things of this nature. And I went to a lot of different schools, and uh, it was very interesting uh, for me because I enjoyed what I what I learned and uh you know how to put out mm-hmm. fires and, and
1: uh hey and mr mr turney can sure. can i test you on fire protection now since this is one of my sure. areas on board ship do you know why the navy uses jp5 instead of jp4 fuel on a naval aircraft
4: jp5 instead of jp4
1: right i, you...
4: I would say it's probably cuz it's less flammable
1: well you uh, you're, you're you're partially right on that but this is a little trivia bit i know we need to move on but JP-5 has a burn rate across across the fuel pool slightly slower than the rate a man can run. Mm, I see. So if you get a pool on a carrier deck, you can barely outrun a JP-5 pool.
5: Wow. Now, that's
1: a piece of trivia I learned from my work in that field. So I just picture you guys as the real heroes because your job was to try to make sure you supported those guys but also make sure that ship stayed afloat. And I know you had no idea how difficult and challenging – an effort that was going to be in the days ahead. And, and as you say, you had divine help, uh, in that. Um, can I mention a couple of your, uh, awards? Cause I, I want to talk to your cohort here about some of this. Cause we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, you've been a president of the Liberty Veterans Association. Uh, you received, and you correct me if I have these wrong. Okay. Uh, Mr. Turney, a Bronze Star with the Combat V for Valor, Purple Heart, uh, Vietnam Service Medal with Bronze Star. Combat Action Ribbon, and Presidential Unit Citation. Do, do I have those correct?
4: That, that's correct. Also, I, I was uh, discharged from the United States Navy with two honorable discharges, and uh, that's uh, that's pretty much it, other than the fact that uh, uh, it was a great honor to serve uh, my country, and it, it's still a great honor to serve my country because when I took the oath, Mm-hmm. Uh, to defend this country from all enemies, foreign and domestic, uh, that oath did not leave me just because I, I left mm-hmm. the Navy. Uh, that oath is a lifetime oath that I will mm-hmm. keep until my until my last breath. And yeah. I, I might I might add uh, one other thing about the firefighting. Uh, we were we were the firefighters, uh, including myself, were fighting napalm, which, as you know, is a very difficult substance right. to, to put out it is uh it is uh, very unusual for uh napalm to be uh, dropped on a ship, uh I had found out, but I guess that was part of the old, part of the ordinance they had mm-hmm. when they were using uh their the right. Israelis were using their firefighting capability or their their uh, war uh, machine against the uh, the Arabs that day. So mm-hmm. uh yeah right. if, uh Napalm is very, very difficult to put out.
1: Uh Ron, am I pronouncing your last name correct, Ron Kukal? Is that correct?
3: That's uh good enough for the Midwest. How would On you East, East Coast, it's Kukal. Kukal.
1: Kukal. Okay, well, I'm glad I know now. Um, what about yourself? Can you briefly share with us just a, a, a brief moment? We have a lot to talk about. A brief moment about your background in the military.
3: I was a communications technician. I carried a top secret clearance. I uh, actually worked at uh, NSA for several uh, for a couple of years or probably for about no, for about 6 months. Um, actually my whole uh, 8 years uh, was involved with the um, with, uh, with being a communications technic- technician. I was trained at uh, Imperial Beach, California. Uh went on to advanced school in San Angelo, Texas. Uh was stationed in the, at San Miguel, Philippines for a short while. And then was sent back uh, for more schooling at the National Security Agency, uh, and then from then on in it was uh, just routine. I guess you'd recall shore assignments until I uh, uh, hit the USS Liberty, which was uh, a bit more than routine. So that's about the size of it for me for for the for eight years.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, so so we've heard your military background. Can I confirm again that both of you two are Bible believing Christians?
3: You certainly can.
1: Did I have that right, um,
3: Phil? You no, know, um, I,
4: I can second that, and I, I remember the day I got saved too, and I'll never forget it. It was like walking on on a on a bed of cotton, and uh, uh, it was the most relieved day I ever had in in my life. And I was a very young man at that time. In mm-hmm. fact, I was in the Navy. I was uh, about eighteen then. But uh, yeah, I got saved by a by an old. Uh, Christian uh, Minister in a church with about twelve
1: people in it mm-hmm. okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, I wanted you all to know that that we're talking to two gentlemen that are war heroes recognized by our government as war heroes that have risked their lives for other people uh, that love the Lord Jesus uh because they're going to say something that's going to be challenging to a lot of our listeners right now and um uh I've got a question about Mr. Attorney about your book, but I want to address this one to to Mr. Kukal, uh, and that's because in the early part of your book there is a prayer that's in there that's listed from Mr. Kukal, who is actually uh, identified in there as a as a chaplain for the USS Liberty Veterans Association, and I want to I want to ask you, Ron, why do you think the circumstances and issues revolving around the USS Liberty incident have a spiritual component? Why do you all bring that part into the issue regarding the attack?
3: um I guess it's because of my early training in church um most of it, most of it involved the the very fact that uh that the israeli people uh the israelis israelites i'll put it that way were the uh, chosen people and um they um well they just <laughs> Every, everything that was taught to me is that these that these people were chosen by God, and I I followed that for for so many years, and uh, i kept I kept up with church as much as I as I could, even while I was in the service. What struck me more than anything is, after all the training they, I had received and all the the Bible study that I'd been to, and uh, about uh, almost felt that the uh, at least I did that. These people could do no wrong, mm-hmm. and uh, I was left with that impression. Uh, and I, I think that was what the impression they wanted to leave me with. And what struck me after the attack, um, and it's funny that it happened to me after the attack, because I had to look back and I had to say to myself, we had absolutely nothing to defend ourselves with, except four 50 caliber machine guns. They had napalm rockets, 50, uh, uh, jet planes, uh, torpedo mm-hmm. boats, uh, the whole ball of so to speak. And coming at us was like, I would call it, I guess, like shooting the fish in a barrel. It was kind of a done deal uh, before you could even uh, say anything more about it. And so I looked back and I said to myself, how could, they, how could this possibly be if these people are indeed who they say they are. We should have been uh, we should have been down to the bottom uh, with all hands aboard, which I think was what they were attempting to do. There's mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind. So the the whole acts with me here, I guess, is simply this: we had nothing, they had it all, and as far as I'm concerned, it's God and God alone that kept us afloat. Uh, there's just no other way mm-hmm. we could have, have managed this. And if you, if we have a little bit of time to talk about all the miracles that we,
5: mm-hmm.
3: uh, encountered that day, and I don't even know them all, but I know a few. <laughs> right. And, uh, uh, so, you know, uh, that's, that's how I got to where I'm at. And I, I believed in it so much that even some of the doctors that talked to me, because all of us guys, almost all of us probably suffer from some type of form of PTSD. I actually had to recover the bodies and identify them. So, uh, I ended up with a pretty severe case of it. But um, just to uh, realize, to think, what the odds that were against us, and yet we're still here, and these people—I uh, this is how I feel about it. If these people were truly who they say they were, then why are we still here talking to you today? Mm-hmm.
1: You're, you're, you're saying God must have shined His favor on you for you to even be here today, and,
3: and <laughs> I, I believe I believe it so much. That I actually lost my family in the process. Mm-hmm. I actually lost my family. Actually, turned away from me because of the things I was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually was was dropped out of a couple of churches. Very politely, by the way, when I told my story, this has happened to me. And uh, I, I have people right here where I live that can tell you the same story.
1: So, so you, you received animosity from churches. For simply telling what you knew personally firsthand to be the truth.
3: That's absolutely correct. And I did get to tell, and did get to testify one time in a, in a small church here where I live. Uh, I told that whole story from beginning to end. It took a little over an hour. Um, I, I really, it was a very small church. I, I guess people just really didn't, uh, I don't know, maybe didn't pay that much attention to it at the time, but I will tell you this, that the, when the larger churches that I went to, and actually I was on the worship teams, and I started talking about what I had seen with my own eyes, um, I was, yes, animosity, is, a, is a, I suppose, is, is putting it lightly. Um, yeah, yeah. Literally, uh, you, they don't just literally throw you out. They just ignore you. And <laughs> all I did was yeah. tell them what I saw, okay?
1: Yeah. You know, the the Lord can surprise us sometimes on who he chooses to shine his favor on, uh, particularly when there's conflict, and it's not always with the folks you would think. Uh, you can look in the Bible and you can see God's favor extended to Hagar uh, when she was thrown out of the household of Abraham and Sarah and thought she was going to go die with her son. And God himself went and left uh, his direction that he was going and went over to them and uh, intervened and provided for them and made sure that they were well taken care of. And that's something where God always steps out of the box that we try to put him in uh, and shows that his ways are not our ways. Uh, I want to get into our story because I know our time's short. short, um, and, and I want you to correct me. I'm going to sort of move the story forward leading up to to what happened in June of 1967 where you all were on board the U.S. Navy ship to Liberty. As I understand it, you and your colleagues um, – served on the Liberty, an American ship to uh, collect the signal intelligence, and that you normally, according to the book, trolled around areas like the shores of Africa. Uh, you know, pretty boring duty, no, no nothing really significant happening, just collecting data. And that one day, around the time of the 1967 Six-Day War uh, that began in the Middle East, your ship was called to do some electronic eavesdropping off the coast of Israel. Uh, on your way there, going through the Mediterranean, and you hear the wars underway, what was the general sentiment uh, about Israel, uh, since you knew Israel was going to be battling Egyptians? And, uh, uh, Mr. Turner, if you could comment on this. What was the general sentiment about Israel at the time amongst the crew as you were heading there, as far as your thoughts about you know, their rights to defend themselves and things like that?
4: Well, uh, it's a very good question, uh, what the crew uh, thought, and it was very evident what the crew thought. There were stars of David's uh, all over the ship. We were uh, most interested in the fact that uh, Israel would take care of uh, their Arab enemies uh, quickly and swiftly and decisively, where they'll never bother them again. That was our hope, that was our desire. And that was our dream. And you'll have to understand that uh, all these years, uh, that we, well, me personally, I can't speak for everybody, but uh, most of the crew now know things are different. But uh, you know what happened uh, during World War two and uh, all the, the horrible uh, atrocities that happened to the to the Jewish people, uh, Auschwitz, uh, you know, the gas chambers, the burning everything you know and uh you have to remember this was only like 20 years after the the, the war had ended and uh world war 2 and so and uh with Israel being our ally certainly we were just uh, uh overwhelmed that uh that Israel could uh, get the job done and we were there to help them that was my thought now I mm-hmm. wasn't uh, a spy like Ron yeah but but uh <laughs> I I figured that's why we were there is to help these people and uh, and when we got on station they reconned our ship and uh, we could see the Star David on their uh, reconnaissance planes and there were were many, many reconnaissance planes anywhere from 12 to 14 starting at uh, daylight going on to about noon and we were very, very happy and content uh, to see these overflights because of the Right. Uh, Israeli markings, and the pilots waved at us, and we waved back. So we felt just uh, terribly, terribly uh, right. secure. Uh, but uh, the, you know, we could see the, the the bombs blasting or the smoke coming off the horizon, and uh, we know there was a, a war still going on, and uh, we know that. Uh, That uh, the Israelis were doing uh, uh, most of the uh, rear end kicking. So Mm -hmm. it was, was, you know, it was a good thing for us. And we were happy the Israelis were there just in case something happened to protect us. Because you have to understand that Captain McGonagall asked for a destroyer escort to come to us to go with us to follow us into the uh, Mediterranean. And, uh, you know, protections just in case something did happen, you know, unfortunately mm-hmm. to us. And he was, he was denied that and said that you have nothing to worry about. Your United States flagship, that is your banner, that is your honor, that is your protection. And that's as far as that went. So.
1: Okay, so let me I, make sure I understand this, um, Mr. Turney. I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but um, you, you all were very enthusiastic, very supportive of our ally Israel. In fact, I think I read in your book people were even making little miniature flags, Israeli flags, to show your support on board. Uh, sure. And from what I just heard you said, you're not doubting the Holocaust. You're not doubting the suffering of of the Jewish people, or, or or even you know a place that they could have a safe place to live. None of that influences your thinking on what you experienced, correct?
4: It, it, it does not influence my thinking. But it 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 also with my experience of what has happened. Uh, over the past 43 years uh gives me pause to think that uh that one people is is uh more superior or better than, than, than other people uh, and i'm talking mainly about the palestinians mm-hmm. i mean they're they're in an open air concentration camp and live like animals with no food and no water no mm-hmm. Know hardly anything, and uh, this could be very easily rectified if uh, yeah. the Israelis would uh, open up the uh, supply line to give these people some hope of life and dignity and love of family, as all human beings mm-hmm. deserve in this world.
1: Well, let's uh, that that's that's something interesting to discuss. Well, let's go back to another ship coming up to the coast, and that's your ship in 1967. Um, you ask for, uh, you, you, first of all, you're going into an area that's considered a war zone, but you're going to be in international waters. You're not in their country's waters. You're in international waters. It's common knowledge that American ships go through that particular area. You, you, you request uh, a destroyer escort just to, for a measure of safety, and you're turned down. Now, was was that Admiral uh, McCain that turned you down for that?
4: Well, I, I don't. Uh, I think it went through the chain of command, uh, and Admiral McCain was involved in it, but at that time, our ship had been taken over by the chairman's uh, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff so there was five okay. five admirals and generals that were uh, that were uh, in direct uh, you know communication supposedly with our ship and and direct uh orders uh, we took the orders from them so there, the whole fleet; everybody else was cut out of the picture except the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So, okay. yes, I do believe John McCain was part of that, and uh, I know he went through the chain of command. He was a four-star admiral. Absolutely, he mm-hmm. knew exactly you know what was going on.
1: Okay, so um, it, it, from a quote I read from another source. Uh, the fact that they said you did not need an escort was because your markings were very, very clear, and the flag that you were waving made it clear to anybody to see that you were an American ship. Therefore, there wasn't anything where you were trying to disguise who you were. Uh, it was very clearly marked ship, so there was no excuse. And that was their, I mean, that, that basically testifies the fact they know that you were clearly marked, because that was cited in their rationale why you didn't need an, an escort, correct?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Welcome back to Future Quake. I'm Doctor Future,
2: and I'm Tom. Yeah, this is a big show. Not happy, Bionic. It's going to get
1: important. The Israelis attacked the ship for two hours Mm -hmm. in repeated salvos, uh, attacking the ship while it waved a 13 foot tall or 13 foot long American flag. Yeah, uh, with one of our submarines underneath, Mm -hmm. tailing it, never came to the aid Mm -hmm. of of. Yep. USS Liberty.
2: You're right. What was the name of that submarine that filmed the whole thing?
1: Um, I'll have to look it up again here. It's uh, uh, Andrew Jackson, USS Andrew Jackson. Saw the whole thing. It uh-huh, didn't help. Yep. Um, we got to go. Merv, could you tell our listeners how to contact us at FutureQuake?
6: FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information.
1: Okay, we got to say goodbye. All right, bye. Okay, come back tomorrow for our next segment. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
5: quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future.
2: Tom, just as serious today as I was yesterday. Not smiling, bionic.
1: Because this is a topic that our listeners definitely need to hear and take seriously and share with others. Mm-hmm. We've got with us this week uh, Philip Turney, who's the co-author of the book What I Saw That Day. He's joined by his shipmate Ron Kukow, we were both aboard the USS Liberty, uh, that was attacked by uh, the Israeli forces in 1967, uh, attempted sinking their ship, mm-hmm. but they survived. They were... Uh, uh, abandoned not only by Israel but by our own government. And uh, these guys have lived and fought to tell their tale. Yeah. And they're here at Future Quake. And it should change the way we think, particularly in the Christian community and what we sure. hear what they say. Mm-hmm. So here's uh, Philip Turney and Ron Kukal. And we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake.
4: The Israelis admitted they knew we were American. And they knew the name of our ship because they looked it up in Jane's Fighting Book as USS Liberty. And it has a picture of our ship in James' fighting book, and it, it explains exactly what type of ship we are. And uh, the Israelis applauded uh, us on their war table as USS Liberty, American, and friendly. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this is right. spoken not out of my mouth, but directly out of the, the people's mouths that were in the war room. And uh, their excuse was. That they uh, changed the watch. They took our ship off the plotting board
5: mm-hmm.
4: and forgot we were there. Well, so we'll we
1: right. We'll we talk managed. about that in a minute because uh, it gets very intriguing as you get into that kind of inf- information about their their rationale after the fact. But but one other thing I want to clarify before before we get into the actual. Uh, a sneak attack event itself. Um, another ship, the Valdez, which did a similar action to you all, was removed by the brass, right? So they left you all out there but removed the Valdez?
4: Absolutely. And the Valdez was a communication ship. It mainly, it was manned by civilian uh, NSA-type guys, same type of uh, work that uh, Ron did. And... Uh, they were, as far as I've heard from anybody, including uh, people in the NSA, CIA, uh, on up, uh, in, in, a, in a very in-depth uh, conversation I had with uh, Admiral Tom Moore, that ship uh, could have done exactly uh, what they wanted us to do, other than the fact that they did not have mm-hmm. a prescom or a, a capability of in, uh, instant messaging from uh, from bouncing things off the moon uh, back to NSA, I know Ron can talk more about that than mm. I can. But right, uh, yeah, the Valdez was was taken out of there. We were the only ship left. Every ship was going the other way except ours. We were going into the war zone. Everybody else was leaving tankers. You know, kind of ship there was.
1: What I what I have to say, this reminds me of is a story in the Bible about Uriah the Hittite, who uh, David sent up to the battlefront. And he wanted to get rid of him, and he sent Uriah, who was a great fighter, along with a bunch of other guys, and had all the other guys retreat and leave him up there in the face of the enemy. And when you say all these other ships are leaving, it, it makes me think now, of course, hindsight's 2020, that the, that the setup was up here uh, when they're when they're pulling back all their other resources and their civilian NSA people and leaving you all out there. Now, um, you mentioned that the Israeli airplanes came over, flew over. You all were on deck waving at them. They waved back. You acknowledged each other. You could see their clear markings. They were extremely close to the ship. You had a flag up. You had huge letters uh, with your ship name and its numbers uh, on, on the side of the ship itself. And then suddenly they open up on you. Uh, we have a lot to talk about in this, so I don't want to spend all our time on, on the, the blow by blow account, but, uh, Phil, can you give us a condensed version, maybe a 10 minute version or so of the key events that happened as far as the, uh, the attack itself?
4: I I will, I, I will mention that, uh, first of all, uh, we had a general quarters drill, uh, just before the attack and, uh, It was a chemical drill, and uh, I was in a chemical suit uh, pretending to wash down the ship uh, with a fire hose, a fire nozzle. It was a four-foot fire nozzle uh, to to get the chemicals off the ship, and uh, it was so hot that day. And I I have to remind you, it was a very, very clear day, and uh, I, I always saw the flag flying because I was on the main deck a whole lot, and the flag was always flying, it was always furled, but uh, it, I thought I was going to pass out, it was so hot out there, and finally uh, the uh, commander, uh, McGonagall, the old man says, okay, drill over, stowed our gear, and there was there was no uh, uh, sound-powered phones working on the uh, starboard gun mount, and uh, it was my job to make sure, sure that everything worked up there. And so I went to the uh, CIC, and I, I got uh, a, uh, a man by the name of David Skolak, uh, who took care of that stuff. And uh, I said, "Meet me up at the uh, starboard gun mount. I got to show you what's going on. You take care of it." And uh, we walked up there, and and you know, shot the bull a little bit. And um, talking about, uh, know, l- let
1: me, let me, inter- I'm sorry to interrupt you here. Let me just remind our listeners that in your book. Uh, what I Saw That Day, which we'll make sure they know how to get, you go through a, a very detailed account, and it is a riveting read. And I want to make sure to remind our listeners to be sure and get your book, because when they hear all the details of what you say, you cannot put the book down. When you recognize what real battle and what real war is about and the terrible carnage and the horror and suffering. I know you're going to give us just a quick, like, key event, but I want to make sure our listeners know you want to get the book to get all the complete details because it's unbelievable when you hear it.
4: Uh, well, it, it, it is unbelievable, and, and it's, uh, it's, uh, to be honest with you, it's just a crying shame. It's, it's a, uh, arrow, uh, through my heart. Uh, it's almost soul-breaking. Without friends like Ron Kukul and and Gary Brummett and uh, my co-writer Mark Glenn and people like that, uh, my other shipmates, I don't know if I could carry on. But we are—we're all in this together. And, and I, I must remind everybody: please, we're not in this to crucify anybody. We're not in this. To uh, to ruin anybody, but the truth is the truth. And when, when you disrespect human life, as the way the Israelis did us that day, and then have your own government covered up and go hand in hand with them, it is it is more than the human soul should 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 bear. Mm-hmm. But to,
3: to get on to, can I interject a thought here? Is it possible to interject just a short pause? Sure, sure. Yeah, um, I like to listen to Phil. Uh, I'll, a lot of times uh, when we're on in interviews together, I'll just I just completely clam up. But one thing I really want to bring out here, because I noticed that you you talked about Phil's medals and the, and, and such, and I want to tell you that uh, the government, uh, uh, the uh, the Navy themselves do recognize us, uh, 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 to, even to the point where uh, they have my own uniform is hanging in the official Naval Museum in Norfolk, Virginia. And so uh, the Nauticus Museum, that's official. That's official Naval Museum. And it's only my uniform simply because they needed one. I had it. Mm-hmm. It hangs there. Yeah. And uh, with a placard below it said, this man wore this uniform the day uh, that, that this ship was torpedoed. He stood about 20 foot from the torpedo and it exploded. is still here to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to put that in there sure. because we are recognized by, by the United States Navy in a lot of ways.
1: Right. Okay. Good. I'm glad you set the record straight on that. Okay, Phil, take us back. Again, give us a condensed version of of what were the different salvos of attack and actually what happened when when that occurred.
4: Okay, uh, I'm on the gun mount. Uh, I tell Skolak and uh, that the sound power phones. I don't know what the deal is going on because, you know, that isn't my my, uh, uh, rate. Uh, it, It was his. He says, don't worry about attorney. I'll take care of it. And uh, you know we were talking, man, this would be a heck of a place to be uh, in this gun mount if anybody ever tried to attack us. Which you know it was just idle chatter, really. Mm-hmm. We never thought that anything like that would ever happen. I so I I go back to my uh, to my workstation on the starboard side. I get into the the uh, ship that are shop, and, and it's right by the uh, motor torpedo boat. Excuse me, the uh, the uh, uh, whaleboat that they test every day to uh, make sure that the motors run. And uh, if there's anything you know going on, I mean that the Navy's mm-hmm. very, very persist. I mean, you, uh, everything's mm-hmm. very rigid. You, you test and you test, and you have backup and you have backup. Mm-hmm. So, but, but, but
1: you heard something go wrong.
4: Yes, it, uh, when they said uh, just a few seconds after they said, you know, stand clear of the, the whaleboat, there was a horrible explosion just out of the hatch. I just went in, and it still wasn't closed. And I said, oh, my God, they'd, uh, they'd blown it up. Uh, one of the guys in there, uh, the gasoline or something, blew up. And I, I stepped out of the hatch, and this first-class uh, Richard Neese nice, uh, grabbed me by the c- collar and jerked me back in violently. And he, and he said, you know, we're under attack. So I immediately uh, dogged down the hatch and, and uh, tried to wake, uh, make my way to the, uh, my repair station, which was forward, and I was aft. So the closest way to do that was was through the mess decks. And as as I went down uh, by the uh, uh, barber shop on my way down, uh, it's a very, uh, fairly steep ladder, and these are metal metal rails and metal uh, you know uh, uh, stairs. I slipped, and when I slipped, I fell all the way down to the bottom without almost hitting anything. And the next thing I remember, sailors are running all over me, and uh, they're you know I mean they're not on purpose, it was just, you know, an instinct. They just had to get to their duty stations. So I rolled over and, uh, you know, I was fine. I got up and ran to my duty station. And uh, then I could see holes popping through everywhere in the ship. It was almost like, uh, it was uh, very sur- surreal. I mean, uh, the sun popping through in, in, in the middle of your ship. It should be you know uh, darkness uh, except for the, you right. know, the lights we had, and so I got to my duty station and uh, you know tried to account for everybody and uh, I couldn't, but uh, we had to do what we had to do with what people what what men we had, and uh, Chief uh, Hal Thompson uh, he had to go to the mast decks he had to, he was hit or something, and uh, which made me the uh, on scene leader. Uh, which I was uh, before that, assistant on c but so we just continued on our job, you know, trying to uh, get everybody off the main deck uh, that was alive or, or, mm. or wounded terribly, and uh, mm. it was uh, just carnage all over. I mean, it was.
1: Uh, you had wave after wave of airplanes coming, just cutting people to ribbons, basically.
4: Ab- it, absolutely, that's a very actually, sir. That is a very kind. Uh, a very kind scene of, of what they did to that ship. It was, it was uh, just unbelievable. I mean, the napalm they dropped on us, there were over 850 cannon rock and holes in the ship, over 5,000 armor-piercing bullets in the ship. They shot five torpedoes at us, one hitting the starboard side, instantly blowing 25 uh, uh, sailors to bits, which Ron Kugel was in the mess of that. And some person, or being, or Jesus Christ touched him on it, on the shoulder, and he fell to the to the death plate, and 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 that that wave of destruction went over Ron, or, or other otherwise he would have blown off the back of his head, his back, he'd be dead. There's no doubt about it. But he, he made he made it out of there, and uh, you know uh, it's a, it's a, it goes longer than that. But uh, I ended up right where the torpedo spaces were. I was ordered down there uh with the Riccometti, and, and uh the uh main hatch was closed and also the scuttle hatch. The scuttle hatch is approximately uh eighteen by eighteen inches and it uh, has a uh a clockwise, counterclockwise uh uh opener on it, which is like a steering wheel and uh I start opening the uh the uh uh, scuttle hat because I hear pound, I hear pounding on the other side and uh, I open it up and there's air coming out air mm-hmm. coming out there's no water so immediately I open it up and uh, here comes uh, a couple sailors one of them was well one of them was a marine uh, Bryce mm-hmm. Lockwood uh, jerked him out and a couple other fellows and uh, then uh, my uh, immediate supervisor got down there John Scott. And uh we looked around and looked around and uh kept it open and I don't know for maybe four or five minutes it seemed like for for hours and hours uh, you know we were just praying that somebody else would come out of there mm-hmm. and we stuck a, a battle lantern down there i had uh, took my belt off and mm-hmm. and uh put the light down there. couldn't see anything and and uh he said, "Well, what do you think turning i I said, "I guess we better seal her up and he says, mm-hmm. yeah, "I agree, and uh, we sealed her up." And uh, then I left the area for for uh, other damage controls that had to be taken care of, and um, I en- I ended up uh, from there doing an operation that night. I've never you know I've never done operations or anything like that. Helping with operations, Dr. Kiefer, and cutting people open, and uh, it was just you know unbelievable. We we we, we mm-hmm. thought it was World War Three because nobody sure. came to help us and. You know, we had gotten a message out that helped us on the way and they left us out there. Can you imagine
1: that? Your own, own government. government
4: left us out there. Your
1: own government. So so let me summarize and, and bleep we, our listener our listeners need to get the book and read it page by page and understand what you went through. You you had as a young man all of these things, life and death decisions you were having to make where people were just getting blown apart around you. You were dragging people to safety. You risked your life time and time again going on deck Grabbing these people, I'm sure Ron has similar experiences. You were bringing people as they were getting shot, they were shooting the wounded. You were, you were bringing them, they've they set up, it seemed like almost like a triage it sounded like, but they're in the mess hall, people just shot to bits, and you're trying to do what you can to comfort them and help the people there, but you also are responsible for keeping the ship afloat. And it took a torpedo that that ship is not su- supposed to survive. And you're desperately trying to keep the, the, the ship above water and also take care of these men that are being shot, blown apart. As I understand that the final tally was, there were 34 men dead and 171 injured from an attack that was multiple waves and went on for two hours. It involved several different, uh, uh, salvos, different, uh, of, of aircraft that kept coming by in waves. Uh, shooting you, and then you had boats coming, Israeli boats that you thought were coming to your assistance, and then they dropped torpedoes, blow a big hole, kill a bunch of your people from that, and, and I understand that it even got worse where you, you you had a few life rafts left that had been damaged, and you lowered those down and activated them to put the most grossly wounded in, and then they came by and machine gun the life rafts. Is that correct?
4: That's absolutely correct. There were, There were three life rafts left out of a crew of two hundred and ninety four they had enough life rafts on there for two hundred and ninety four crew members and that's not counting the captain's gig and the whaleboat uh, to put other uh, people in so there was plenty plenty of uh you know uh, ways to evacuate the wounded though there was only three life rafts left we put them over the side they immediately now we were going to put our most seriously wounded in them because the old man says, "Prepare to abandon ship, prepare to abandon ship." And uh, you know we're going to overlook for for life rafts or all shot up or burn up. And uh, you know you just you, you, you pull it and it flops over and it's supposed to go over the side. There, there nothing happened, but three did go over the side. They and they instantly mm-hmm. shot two out of the water, and then they took one aboard their boat. And now while they're doing this? The other boats are shooting at our firefighters Firefighters and stretcher bearers, as they're as they're trying to recover the the, the wounded and, and you know give them comfort and aid.
1: Now, isn't this stuff it, against some kind of international law, like Geneva Conventions, to to shoot life rafts and uh, it, people in stretchers?
4: It, absolutely, it's it, it's against international law. It's against it's it's against uh, human nature. It's against uh, all laws, but. Uh, we filed a war, war crimes uh, complaint against the, the government of Israel, and it was quashed by none other than George Bush, that uh, he didn't want to hear nothing about this war crime stuff about Israel shooting our life rafts. And uh, so that's just another part of the cover up. I mean, my God, we went through all this, and, and then the, through the night, all the operations, everybody trying to do all they could. And we're, we're thinking that the Israelis are going to come back and, and, and kill us and, and, and uh, sink us at night, or maybe our own government, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, where they could, uh, mm-hmm. you know, no, no survivors. And, you know, the, the sad part is, is that uh, Captain Tully off the USS America sent two waves of aircraft, two waves of them, and they were recalled by uh, none other than uh, McNamara and Johnson. And, and, you know, Johnson got on the, on the line and said, We don't give a GD if every man aboard that ship dies and and the ship sinks. We're not going to embarrass our ally.
1: This is our president said that about his own fighting men and women.
4: Absolutely. And, and, And this was early on in the attack, about 15 to 20 minutes into the attack. We did not know who was attacking us. We did not have a clue because they were using unmarked jet aircraft. Now, how in the world could LBJ know who was attacking us if we didn't? So uh, we were set up. We were set up from the get-go to sink, blame it on Egypt, and they were going to uh, brought us into a, probably a nuclear war because I, I do know there were two nuclear tip uh, planes that came off the of USS America ready to drop nuclear bombs on Cairo, and within two minutes to 120 seconds that order was rescinded. And can you imagine uh, the uh, the, uh, the the millions of people that would have been killed? Uh, and uh, I mean, uh, this would still be going on today. As I a mean,
1: beginning, yeah.
4: So yeah, it just, it's, it's just it's a horrible, horrible what, plot. And
1: well, what what that was based on was you you had to run down because you were responsible for keeping the ship afloat. You had to run down and take that bulkhead that was getting ready to explode. And you had to go down there and crawl on your belly and try to reinforce that bulkhead in the middle of the night, risking your life. If it gave away, you were a goner. And you were trying, on the sake of all your other shipmates, to keep that ship afloat. You know, other people had other important duties they were doing. But you were doing that, and the fact that that ship did not sink basically ruined all those plans to 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 bomb in the millions that would have died in Egypt. And, um, you know, I know you give the credit to God for keeping that ship, but God also had several very resourceful men like Ron and yourself that refused to die and ruined the plans of a lot of world power brokers around the world who it appears had hatched some kind of scheme. And I want to just back up what you just said, which is very inflammatory about our own president, LBJ and McNamara. Uh, as I understand, this, this came in testimony from the Naval Security Group officer, Lieutenant Commander David Lewis. Uh, in my own research from other sources that he was briefed by Admiral Geis and actually testified that this is what McNamara and LBJ said. They actually had the carrier pull back airplanes that were going to come to your rescue and insisted twice that they come back and said that he wanted your ship to go to the bottom.
4: That's absolutely correct, and and, and may I say that... uh, If it it wasn't for my courageous shipmates, including Ron Kukul, I consider him a uh, a true uh, American hero in in, in the very heartfelt sense that that I say it. And also the uh, the men that helped us, uh, of course, uh, coming off the USS Davis uh, when they met us that next morning. Without those guys, who knows what would have happened. But God bless every one of them, Mm -hmm. And, and God bless everybody that... It just wasn't in damage control, but, uh, you know, they stayed at their stations and did what they had to do. And, and uh, Ron and I, uh, we, we stayed with the ship. We took it into Malta, and uh, that's when the grisly task of uh, body recovery and identification uh, took place. And since Ron was one of the senior members in uh, the uh, intelligence community, or CTs, uh, spy, uh, it was his job to go down there and do it, which I know that wasn't uh, mm-hmm. easy on him, and uh, it's something he'll never forget.
5: Mm-hmm. Now, now
1: Ron, Ron, am I right in assuming that a lot of your comrades that you worked with were the ones that succumbed to the torpedo blast directly? That's correct.
3: Uh, that's, that's absolutely correct. Um, the only way that there was any possibility of really uh, figuring out who, who was who or uh, who they were was uh, thank God the U.S. Navy had us stencil our name on our shirts, trousers, and uh, I use that a lot to try to even piece a torso together. Um, um, the, the names helped tremendously. Um, the mutilation is something my mind don't, don't, doesn't want to remember anymore, and I don't care to remember it because if there are some people here that, uh, that uh, are family of these men, I don't care to describe what I saw, right. but I tell you it was um, absolute mayhem. Um,
1: in, and as I, I have, can I, yes,
3: intercept or in, interject? Just one, intercept. I sound like a
5: <laughs> <CD>. Yeah,
3: <laughs> interject one more thought. Um, I, when you asked me how I realized and how I began to feel how God had such a part in this, I want to tell you that I felt exactly like Tarsus, on the, on the road to Damascus, when he was blinded. That's what hit me. My God. What they've been teaching me all these years in church may not be exactly what I want to believe anymore. I, just, I want to impart that thought to
1: you. Now, you're not talking about the gospel, though. You're not talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's not the part you were doubting, correct?
3: Oh, no, no, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. There's no there's no doubt in my mind about the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and, I'm not, and on top of that... I don't know if Phil remembers it or not, but uh I uh, actually led him in a prayer to the Lord. Yeah, it was the second time mm-hmm. <laughs> he was yeah. saved. Yeah. Uh, and uh when he said he was saved before, I even led him with with the prayer we had. I right. thought, oh, well, he was already saved. But that's okay. Well, that doesn't mm-hmm. make any difference.
5: Right. But, uh
3: yeah, um, being blinded on the road to, to Damascus, uh what I'm trying to say is, is the shock of it all as to what I've been taught for years and years and years um, uh, specifically about, I always felt that I needed to bow down
5: um,
3: to these people. And, of course, (laughs) I'm an out a devout believer in the the message of uh, of Jesus Christ. uh, Died on the cross, rose again in three days. There's no doubt in my mind. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind he was there with us that day.
1: we're back at FutureQuake with Dr. Future.
2: Tom, this is a tough interview for me to listen to because it just confirms all the stuff that I knew was true, Bionic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, um, you know, these guys were abandoned by their own country mm-hmm. and as well as uh, attacked by the Israelis. Uh, the Israelis attacked over two hours, eight different salvos. Mm-hmm. They dropped napalm on our soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they shot the guys on stretchers. Mm-hmm. They shot they up shot the relief wounded,
2: rafts. Yeah, wounded in
1: in yeah,
2: like
5: huh.
1: And uh NSA tapes which have been uh recovered, um uh, say they knew that they were Americans. Yeah. In fact, had written back on the board at home, but they said there was fatigue, but were never, none of them were ever held accountable. Any of the pilots, any of the people involved. Sure. Merv, would you come tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake?
6: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Doctor Future and Tom Bionic at Doctor Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go.
1: Out. Come back tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future's always bright. Have a good day.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future.
2: And I'm Tom. Game-faced because this is serious. Bionic.
1: Mm Mm-hmm and uh we're talking this week with Philip Turney who is the co-author of the book What I Saw that day. He's joined by his shipmate Ron Kukal, who were both on board the USS Liberty, uh a US Navy ship attacked in June 1967 by the Israeli uh aircraft and air force and then their ships uh were strafed over 2 hours, killed a bunch of the crew, 34 men dead, 179 wounded, 171 wounded. Uh, and were torpedoed, uh, and they refused to die. And they were forgotten by our own government, cover up, uh, and in fact were told by our president they wanted to sink to the bottom of the sea. But they wouldn't yep. go. So, no further ado, here's Mr. Turney and Mr. Kukal, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at FutureQuake. You mentioned, I believe it was USS Davis, uh, if, if I remember the narrative from the book, when they came on board and saw what the American government, Israeli government together, had done to the guys to, to your ship. I, I remember them saying they expressed tremendous amount of anger and even weeping from the other guys on board with what they saw that you all had to endure. Right?
4: That's absolutely they did, and they uh, they actually ran their hands against the the bulkheads and uh, the, the blood streaming down, and they they, they looked at everything, and they, they were almost. Uh, ghost-like uh, figures, but they were also, uh, you know, the the heroes that came aboard that ship and uh, gave us aid and comfort. And they felt just terrible. I mean, they felt yeah. guilty. They felt guilty that they couldn't they couldn't come to our aid when they knew we needed help. And it was uh, it was something that uh, I'll never forget. And uh, I don't think that any survivor mm-hmm. will ever forget. But you know. The, the, the very, very sad, sad part about this whole deal is when the United States government uh, gave gave the okay for Israel, or however it worked, because they, they would not come help us, is, is, Israel just didn't attack uh, our ship. They attacked all Americans. And it is... Uh, <laughs> The same thing with our government, because our government won't fess up to the truth. And, you know, the truth shall set you free. And the the truth is, uh, Israel got by with, uh, you know, I mean, your listeners may may not want to hear this, but, you know, you've got to call it just the way it is, but Israel got by with cold-blooded murder at the assistance of the United States government. By, by, by letting them do it and, and keeping help away from us. And, you know, they say that they don't leave any soldiers behind or sailors. They say, 294 crewmen alone and behind to die. We were worthless to them. And we, we we almost felt worthless to anybody. Sure. But we started thinking, well, maybe it's World War Three, and maybe they can come help us and maybe this and maybe that. But when when the, when everything is learned and what we've learned over the last 40 to 43 years is that the USS Liberty the great ship USS Liberty was set up to be sunk and uh it just didn't quite work out that way and thank God because it it saved, it saved the nuclear holocaust and in my belief
1: let's move forward Phil cuz we we still got a lot of questions left here and just try to give some brief answers if you can on some of these things because there's so many dimensions the listeners need to know you you had uh, an investigation that was done when your your ship limped to Malta for repairs. Uh, th- th- there was a Admiral Kidd that came on board to to talk to you and some of your shipmates, uh, who was responsible for some kind of quick investigation. Can you tell me quickly uh, what the gist of what Admiral Kidd told you, uh, particularly when you told your story?
4: Absolutely. Uh, we were taken in small groups. Uh, I was in the uh, at that time, I was in the um, sick bay, and in sick bay they had, uh, you know, uh, stainless steel tables, and uh, there was three or four of us in there, and uh, I was in damage control, and I was one of the last guys that he talked to, and uh, he took off his stars and threw them on the uh, on the stainless steel table and said, "Listen, you guys, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just a seaman or whatever." Just tell me what happened because I want I, I got to get the truth. This is my job, and uh, I need the truth from you guys. So, boy, we felt like, hey, this this is going to happen. We felt like kings that this this flag officer is going to, you know, listen to a bunch of low lives like us. And so, yeah, we opened up to him. We opened our hearts to him. And we told him everything, and uh, down to the very last detail. And uh, when that was all done. He put his stars on, and uh, his face got as, as, as red, just as red as fire. Just as his eyes were just beaming with uh, disdain, and he said, uh, "Now I'm an admiral again. And if you ever repeat anything you ever said to me, anybody else, your family, your friends, the media, anybody, I'll make sure you end up in prison or worse. And we all know what worse meant." So okay, we we just got uh, we just got uh, attacked by a foreign government, and our mm-hmm. government let him do it. And, th- and then we get attacked again by a flag admiral telling us that we're worthless and we can't say anything about it. Don't ever say a word about it. Mm-hmm. Forget it forever.
1: Which which was just about as bad as having the attack
4: anyway. To so those of the survivors. Absolutely. If they would have gone about about it a little bit different different way, they could have taken care of this a long time ago. But they mm-hmm. went by it by uh, thuggery and using intimidation, uh, intimidation, and it uh, it certainly worked on me for over twenty years because I sure. didn't say a word about it. I was afraid to. I was afraid that they were going to get me.
1: What, what What do you think, Phil, about the affidavit from his assistant, Captain Boston, that he gave later?
4: Uh, Captain Boston, uh, the reason he, wore, uh, he wrote that affidavit is because of a book called The uh, Liberty Instant, written, written by A.J. Crystal, a uh, bankruptcy, uh, bankruptcy judge in uh, Miami, Florida, and he couldn't stand it anymore. He said, that's enough. He says, that's enough. And he came up with his affidavit, and, and I know you've read it, and it discounts everything that this U.S. government has said and everything that Israel said.
1: Well, Kent, yeah. would you would you give me a moment to just briefly share a little bit with our audience? Oh,
3: absolutely, please
1: do, so. Let me just share a little bit. This this is Captain Ward Boston, the Navy's chief legal counsel for the Board of Inquiry looking into at the attack, uh, and he was the assistant to Admiral Kidd. Uh, now, this was a this was a, uh, a investigation that Admiral Kidd said, due to other references I read, was supposed to take six months, and they gave them ten days to do the investigation, and here is an official legal affidavit filed from a, from a legal professional, from, from Captain Boston, from the JAG office, the Judge Advocate General, in October 2003. He says, I, Ward Boston Jr., do declare that the following statement is true and complete. For more than 30 years, I have remained silent on the topic of the USS Liberty. I am a military man, and when orders come from the Secretary of Defense and President of the United States, I follow them. However, recent attempts to rewrite history uh, uh, compel me to share the truth. In June of 67, while I was serving as captain in the Judge Advocate General Corps Department of the Navy, I was assigned as senior counsel for the Naval's Court of Inquiry in the brutal attack of the USS Liberty, which occurred on June 8th. The late Admiral Azek Kidd, President of the Court, and I were given only one week to gather evidence for the Navy's official investigation in the attack, despite the fact that we had both estimated that a proper court of inquiry into the attack of this magnitude would take at least six months to conduct. Admiral John S. McCain, Jr., then Commander-in-Chief Naval Forces Europe, at his headquarters in London, had charged Admiral Kidd uh, to inquire into all pertinent facts and circumstances leading to and connected with the armed attack damage resulting, therefrom, and deaths and injuries to naval personnel. Despite the short amount of time we were given, we gathered a vast amount of evidence, including hours of heartbreaking testimony from the young survivors. The evidence was clear. Both Admiral Kidd and I believed was certainty that this attack, which killed 34 American sailors and 172 others injured, was a deliberate effort to sink an American ship and murder its entire crew. Each evening, after hearing testimony all day, we spoke our private thoughts concerning what we had seen and heard. I recall Admiral Kidd repeatedly referring to the Israeli forces responsible for the attack as murderous, and a bad word. Uh, It was our shared belief, based on the documentary evidence and the testimony received firsthand, that the Israeli attack was planned and deliberate and could not possibly have been an accident. I am certain that the Israeli pilots that undertook the attack, as well as their superiors who ordered the attack, were well aware that the ship was American. I saw the flag which uh, was visually identified the ship as American, riddled with bullet holes, and her testimony that made it clear that the Israelis intended there to be no survivors. Not only did the Israelis attack the ship with napalm gunfire missiles, Israeli torpedo boats, machine gun, three lifeboats that had been launched in an attempt for the crew to save the most seriously wounded, a war crime. Admiral Kidd and I both felt it necessary to travel to Israel to interview the Israelis who took part in the attack. Admiral Kidd telephoned Admiral McCain. To discuss making arrangements, Admiral Kidd later told Admiral McCain uh, was adamant that we were not to travel to Israel or contact the Israelis concerning the matter. Regrettably, we did not receive into evidence, uh, and the court did not consider any of the more 60 witness declarations from men who had been hospitalized and were unable to testify in person. I am outraged at the efforts of the apologists for Israel and this country to claim that this attack was a case of mistaken identity. In particular, the recent publication of Jerry Crystal's book, The Liberty Incident, twists the facts and misrepresents the views of those who investigated the attack. Uh, it is uh, Crystal's insidious attempt to whitewash the facts that has pushed me to speak out. I know from personal conversations I had with Admiral Kidd that President Lyndon Johnson and Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara ordered him to conclude that the attack was a case of mistaken identity, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Admiral Kidd told me after returning to Washington that he had been ordered to sit down with two civilians from either the White House or Defense Department and rewrite portions of the court's findings. Admiral Kidd also told me that he had been ordered to put the lid on everything having to do with the attack on U.S. liberty. We were to never to speak of it, and we were to caution everyone else involved that they should never speak of it again. I have no reason to doubt the accuracy uh, of that statement, as I know that the Court of Inquiry transcript that has been released to the public is not the same one that I certified and sent off to Washington. I know this because it was necessary due to the exigencies of time to hand-correct and initial a substantial number of pages. I've examined the release version of the transcript, and I did not see any pages that bore my hand-corrections and initials. Also, the original did not have any deliberately blank pages, as the released version does. Finally, the testimony of Lieutenant Painter concerning the deliberate machine gunning of the life rafts by the Israeli torpedo boat crews, which I distinctly recall being given at the court of inquiry and included in the original transcript, is now missing and has been excised. Following the conclusion of the Court of Inquiry, Admiral Kidd and I remained in contact. Though we never spoke of the attack in public, we did discuss it between ourselves on occasion. Every time we discussed the attack, Admiral Kidd was adamant that it was a deliberate planned attack on an American ship. In 1990, I received a telephone call from Jay Crystal, who wanted to interview me concerning the functioning of the Court of Inquiry. I told him I would not speak to him on the subject, and prepared to hang up the telephone. Uh, he then began asking me about my personal background and other non-Court of Inquiry-related matters. I endeavored to answer these questions and politely extricate myself from the conversation. Crystal continued to return to the subject of Court of Inquiry, which I refused to discuss with him. Finally, I suggested he contact Admiral Kidd and ask him about the Court of Inquiry. Shortly after my conversation with Crystal, I received a telephone call from Admiral Kidd uh, inquiring about Crystal and what he was up to. The Admiral spoke of Crystal in disparaging terms uh, and opined that Crystal must be an Israeli agent. Now, this was from an admiral saying this. I don't know if he meant it literally or if his way of expressing the disgust for Crystal's highly partisan pro-Israeli approach to the questions of U.S. liberty. I'm just about done here. At the same time, uh, did I ever... At no time did I ever hear Admiral Kidd speak of Crystal other than in highly disparaging terms. I find Crystal's terms of a close friendship with Admiral Kidd to be utterly incredible. I find it impossible to believe the statements he attributes to Admiral Kidd concerning the attack on the Liberty. Several years later, I received a letter from Crystal that contained what he purported to be his notes of our prior conversation. These notes were grossly inaccurate and bore no resemblance in reality to that discussion. I found it hard to believe that these notes were ever the product of mistake, rather than an attempt to deceive. I informed Crystal that I disagreed with his recollection of war conversations, and he was wrong. Crystal made several attempts to arrange for the two of us to meet in person, to talk, but always found ways to avoid doing this. I did not want to meet with Crystal, and we had nothing in common. I did not trust him. Contrary to the misinformation presented by Crystal and others, it is important for the American people to know that it is clear that Israel is responsible for deliberately attacking an American ship and murdering American sailors whose bereaved shipmates have lived with this egregious conclusion for many years. This is Ward Boston, Jr., Captain of the JAG Office, U.S. Navy, Senior Counsel to U.S. Liberty Court of Inquiry. And that was in 2003, um, not that many years ago. And I'm sorry that I know that was long-winded but I thought that was important to that, set though. the record straight. Yeah. And that completely is consistent with everything that both of you have told us today.
4: Uh, and, a- absolutely. And I, I might add that uh, Admiral uh, Starring uh the first man he was the captain at the time. Admiral Starring uh became Jag uh uh Jag Je- uh Jag Jag
1: Jed- Ad- yeah. Ad- yeah. Epic general. Yeah, there
4: we go. Uh, yeah. I, sometimes I get my words, uh, my tongue <laughs> twisted up there. But he—he he was the uh, you know a two-star admiral, and uh, he was the first man to get his hands on that uh, on that document, and he refused to sign off of it. And Admiral uh, McCain ordered uh, Ward Boston, uh, Captain Boston, to retrieve. Uh, the uh, information from uh, 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 Captain Starring at the time and uh, he was uh, done with it and so they rushed it through within 10 days because uh, uh, Captain Starring would not sign off on it, he said there was just too much much wrong with it, he couldn't do it and uh, even though that could have ruined his career he did rise to the highest ranks of uh, the United States uh, military, and, and a, in a lawyer-type fashion, being a JAG officer, and he also uh, was a very uh, good personal friend of uh, Ron, excuse me, Ron Kugel. Mm-hmm. That, uh, uh, in fact, he even went up to visit Ron. And I've, I've met mm-hmm. with Admiral Staring many, many times, had many, many conversations with him. But what a hero, uh, Admiral mm-hmm. uh, or Captain Storing was, or, uh, uh, for, for, for not signing mm-hmm. off on this uh, piece of garbage they wanted him mm-hmm. to. And it was pushed through by uh, Admiral McCain and, uh, of course, JFK and McNamara. But,
1: well, uh, let, let me, was, if I can mention a few other names uh, for people know. Sure. These are from other sources as well, okay, that I went to. Dean Rusk, our own Secretary of State, said that yes. he did not believe the official story and that it actually was an intentional attack by Israel on our ship. Our own Secretary of State uh, says this. Uh, Admiral uh, Thomas Moore, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, says that he is certain that it was a deliberate attack. Um, uh, there have been documents released uh, from the NSA, National Security Agency, that has audio uh, where the Israelis are talking about their acknowledgment it's a U.S. ship uh, when it's Israel. Uh, some of these tapes that NSA has acknowledged they have, they will not release Uh, The Israeli tapes they have from the Israeli pilots uh, has blank spaces where they're talking about that, where they actually wiped out the audio on it. Um, This is a conspiracy at the highest level, is it not, Phil?
4: Absolutely. Conspiracy to the very highest level of government. And, again, the, the sad, sad part of it, it happened 43 years ago. It was like yesterday for me. But uh the conspiracy continues through administration after administration after administration. because believe me, I don't know how many letters Ron has written i don't know how many I've written, but tens of thousands to get this done, as well as other shipmates to the congressmen and others and they, and they keep on going back we, to we, take taking identity
1: we we've uh, we've lost Ron. we might have to contact him a little bit later here. We lost his connection um. Yeah. But now, uh, as, as I understand it from my other references I have, um, they sent out letters to loved ones uh, that were on board the U.S. Liberty telling them that it was an accident a day before the the inquiry even convened.
4: Absolutely, they did. They, they sent it uh, out of it was an accident, and that uh, you know uh, you know we were in the news one day and uh, gone the next, and, and that's just the, the, the lid they had on it. Well, that just uh, goes back to show you the control over the, over the media by the, uh, the uh, Zionist government uh, in, in this country. And, and it's gone back many, many, many years, and it continues today. And I may say that the two wars that we're fighting right now, uh, I, I, listen, I'm an anti-war type person. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I love my country. I bleed red, white, and blue, uh, but I'm anti-war. And uh, we're fighting two wars right now, all for the sake of, of, of Israel. And how many young men and women have been killed, and and tens of thousands more mutilated for life—arms, uh, limbs, eyes, ears. Uh, they'll, will they ever live a, a, a normal life? I hope so. Well,
1: uh, let, let me let me ask you: You were invited. You and your survivors were were finally invited after the word got out from some books that were out uh uh George uh, Herbert Walker Bush uh Bush 41 invited or yes, well, you were invited to see him how did he respond to you personally to you survivors that that uh, went through this horror tragedy
4: that's boy is that a sour note but I'll tell you exactly what happened there was probably at least a hundred of us there with our wives and families and uh and the survivors and we were in the rose garden and this is uh I believe in June or July. It's when when the troops came home from uh, the Gulf War, but uh, we were in the Rose Garden waiting and waiting and waiting in the intense heat. It was uh, for Mm -hmm. at least two hours, and uh, and uh, the president was supposed to come speak to us. And we thought, finally, we're going to get our day in court. Finally, he's going to acknowledge what happened to us, because we weren't invited there. We, we we just didn't break our way through the gate. And the President of the United States uh, drove by in his big black limousine, and supposedly his hand went out and waved. I don't know if it was his hand or somebody else's. And then Brett Scowcroft and uh, and uh, uh, the other fellow, I forget his name, Sununu, came out and said, well, the President has uh, 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 many more matters to take care of right now. Uh, we're very sorry. And here you got the, the captain ship wearing the Medal of Honor in his uniform. with His whole uniform is full of sweat, and this Medal of Honor is full of sweat hanging around his neck, and all the other uh, uh, sailors and Marines with all, the, all their medals around him. And they did. They disrespected us again, right in our own capital, right, right there, where business is taken care of. He would not talk to us. And they said, "Well, would you like to take a tour of the, of the uh, White House?" And so uh, it was. Uh, that was the that
1: was the consolation prize they gave you after they yeah, promised you an office there, with please. the president. Well, and 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 this particular Bush was a naval aviator himself. That was a combat naval officer and he would not even see gentlemen who were attacked and double-crossed by two governments and that had suffered horribly for it, he couldn't find time on his schedule to say thanks or sorry.
4: Not even two minutes, not a minute. You know, if he had just given us 15 seconds of his time, 15 seconds, we'd have been satisfied. But uh, he wouldn't do that.
1: What, what about your own congressman? I know you went on a letter-writing campaign. Once somebody broke the silence and you felt like you could get this burden off your back and set the record straight, because I mean, you, you were even humiliated in front of other naval officers when you had these medals, and, and a, an officer on board actually humiliated you in front of your other workers and told you to take them off, and he knocked them off, told you to pick them up, uh, because a lot of this stuff was secret, and nobody knew about it so you had one insult after another what happened when you started sharing this information to your congressman and other people who were supposed to be there to help you with these kind of things
4: it was a total uh well a total letter writing campaign uh, on myself and my wife she, you know I, dic- mm-hmm. I dictated a letter she wrote them. but uh, uh the same answer came back every time uh dear mr attorney uh You know, we've gone through this. The Navy Department will direct you here, direct you there, and the same thing. It was a mistaken identity. Case closed. Mistaken identity. Case closed. I would get documents from National Security Agency, and uh, everything's blacked out. You know, I've tried every way I know to get the truth out. I mean, you know, radio, uh, uh, TV interviews, uh, everything I can do to get the truth out because I don't. If it happened once, it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And it is happening right now with two wars we're fighting for Israel, and I, it just breaks my heart. I just, uh, you know, it is,
5: uh, it now, is my duty
4: as an American citizen to make sure that people know that they they've been lied to and lied to big time, and and their own government will 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 sacrifice their own citizens that are doing their duty that to, uh, they took the oath for is is beyond. Uh, a comprehension it's something that I still really can't fathom I just really can't understand it but I don't think this is the first time it's ever happened
1: and so I'm assuming they care just as much about the boys who are in Iraq and Afghanistan as they cared about you that day
4: Absolutely they're nothing more than cannon fodder and they're nothing more than being used and it is a it is a sad sad situation that just makes you want to uh to just break down and cry, which I do often
5: mm-hmm.
4: when I think about this.
1: Now, if I remember right, you you even went. You were in part of a, a parade with military veterans, and you had a sign showing representing you and your comrades, representing them in U.S. Liberty, attacked by by Israel, the enemy. Uh, that time and, and actually, you you were given uh, raspberries and other stuff by other people. If it hadn't been for a marine officer, that there, there's a marine. Uh, uh member from the marines who pulled you into the parade you were you were getting opposition from other american officials and others even for being represented in a parade for what you went through correct
4: absolutely and and all the sign said was uh re- remember the USS Liberty and uh you know uh the, the 34 men killed aboard the, the USS Liberty and and four people didn't, when when the word israel come up they certainly didn't like it and this uh one marine uh, uh, he uh, grabbed me and he says, "Come on, you're going with me," and he he put me right in front of the uh, right in front of the parade.
1: We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom. Again, tough stuff to listen to. Bionic. You know a few more facts we didn't cover. Yeah, Um yes. The the U.S. government says they sent a warning to the U.S. Liberty about what was going on and mm-hmm. you know that war going on but they sent it on channels that they were not listening to, that they knew or published they weren't listening to. Mm-hmm. So they sent a message they knew couldn't be reached by Well,
2: and them. they also, as Phil pointed out, they also rejected giving them a destroyer escort.
1: That's right. Yeah. Uh, from Admiral McCain and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so no escort. They got all the other ships out of the way other than they yeah. set this...
2: Called the rescue back, all that stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. They needed a ship. In fact, they speculated that probably the, the other ship... Uh, there uh, didn't sound really very romantic uh, to rally around, so the USS Liberty, if it sank, would really rally the Americans behind a war mm. with Egypt, uh, who they'd set to beat, and that's who LBJ had sent, sent uh, airplanes to go bomb. Mm-hmm. So, Merv, would you come tell our listeners how to contact us at FutureQuake?
6: FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. During the radio broadcast.
1: We gotta go. Let's get out of here. Come back tomorrow for our last segment on the USS Liberty. Until then we hope your future's always bright. Have a good day.
5: Bye.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake,
5: quake, quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Doctor Future.
2: Tom. Poker-faced bionic.
1: And we're getting ready to begin our last segment with our guest, uh, Philip Turney, who is the co-author of the book, What I Saw That Day. He's joined by his shipmate, Ron Kukow. Uh Both were on board the USS Liberty, uh, an American ship that was attacked by the Israelis in June 1967. Uh, they attacked it over two hours, attempted to sink it, torpedoed it, uh, killed uh, 34 men, injured 171. Uh Americans did not come to the rescue. The president himself ordered rescue planes away. Mm-hmm. Said he wanted that ship going to the bottom. Uh and they just didn't agree to it. They kept on, including they did the um these gentlemen yeah, shaved the save the ship.
2: No, I think I'm gonna live today.
1: And let's hear from them. So here's uh Mr. Turney and Mr. Cocal, and then we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quick.
4: I was happy to do that because I was gonna chase down my congressman at that time, Pat Schroeder.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, she had saw the sign. She was riding in a car about I don't know four or five uh, cars ahead of me. And uh, my main goal was to corner her and talk to her because mm-hmm. she she always sent me letters with a little smiley face on them. After you know right. saying it was a you know mistaken identity, and you know it just made me so angry for her to put a smiley face on there uh, when her own uh, fellow uh, countrymen had been slain. There's that. There's nothing to smile about. You better get to the bottom of this. That's your job. Well, when you took the oath of Congress, and uh, I never could get. I get her. She uh, got in the car and got away. Mm-hmm. And they're all that way. All these right. congressmen and senators, they just get away. They get away from the USS Liberty subject. And my, I'll tell you, I, if the USS Liberty story ever comes out, ever, if it ever comes out and the truth is told, that is our key to breaking the passionate attachment towards this country.
5: Mm-hmm. Now, listen,
4: I'm not saying for the destruction of Israel. I'm not saying for the destruction of anybody. Right. But, again, nobody should be allowed to get by with cold-blooded murder. I don't care who it is, because if they get by it once, they'll get by it again. It's just like the mafia. I mean, you know, right. it is, uh, it's, right. it's just...
1: Uh, well, everything uh, the USS Liberty represents poses a threat to the power brokers. In our country, in other countries, the ones that want the status quo of lying to us, manipulating us for their purpose, the fact that you guys refused to go to the bottom was one of the only times that their plan didn't come to fruition. And there were millions of people that were probably going to die that way, according to the testimony uh, from several officials about those airplanes, and as you talked about, heading to Egypt with nuclear weapons. Uh there would have been a bloodbath for somebody else's agenda, and you all just happen to be a convenient pawn uh, to make some martyrs out of you to justify war. Except that you refused to play ball. You, you and your Absolutely. compatriots refused to play ball, and that that actually it infuriated, but it also terrorized the power brokers because you all don't roll over easy. Uh, you know, I've often said on our show, if you want to find out somebody who really understands how things work, go find a Vietnam veteran. Go sit down and talk to them, and you will find out how things really work in our country and what's involved. And you talk about it, guys who aren't going to get fooled uh, by these people in, in Congress and in Washington. It's one of them. And I will put even above that a USS Liberty veteran because you all were the, were the, received the tip of the spear from these people. And you live to tell about it. And as long as you were there, you are a testimony against everything that they stand for. Um, I I, want to look at the future here a little bit, if you don't mind, in our last segment here. Um, Sure. You you said, from your experience and what you saw and how you were treated after the incident, what happened during it, what happened later, that when you saw the planes hit the World Trade Center towers, your experience has told you, that this was a yet another setup. It was something like a USS Liberty all over again. How did you put two and two together based upon what you experienced to know that something wasn't right there?
4: Well, uh, it, it didn't take me very long to do that because I one, once I found out about the dancing Israelis and then they had all, all everything on film. Uh, it was almost like USS Liberty Part Two and uh USS liberty part 2 worked very well because we we were for, for for the uh for the people that that uh, want us in war but when you study everything and I've studied it a lot and you study the the engineers and you under, understand that building 7 was never hit by anything and it collapsed like like a uh, a balloon being popped uh, there, there's something wrong here. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this is a contr- controlled demolition. Now, these buildings were built to take that type of uh, uh, that that type of uh, damage and, and not collapse. But if, if you look at it, I've looked at it over and over again. Now, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, by no means a scientist or anything like that, but my eyes don't lie. When I can see something mm-hmm. and look at it over and over and over, I understand there's there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were there were over 200 Israeli uh, Mossad agents that were transferred out of this country immediately uh, after that after that tragedy. Now this was um, in the mainstream
1: like, news, right? Like a lot of this was even reported on Fox News, if I remember right. Uh, sure, the the ones that you were talking about, they were in Liberty Park, over overlooking. Right. They were actually right. sort of celebrating there. I know there sure. were reports that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu got a warning a day before not to go to New York. Uh, he was warned not to be there so your experience and what you went through w- was your surest foundation to understand that this was just again a deja vu experience that this is the kind of stuff that our governments and the other nations of the world pull all the time on the rest of us innocent citizens
4: absolutely and the, the very very innocent citizens and you know it's our it's our duty to protect the most uh, vulnerable of these of these attacks is our little ones right and uh, it, it comes it comes from the adults uh, to uh, shout out and protect our little ones so this this can't happen again and I, I, I just uh, I'm, fra- I'm, a, I'm scared to death of the future uh, not for me you know I've, I've lived mm-hmm. uh, 43 years that I shouldn't even live
5: <laughs> yeah. you mm-hmm. know
4: I've lived on borrowed time. But it's, it's, you know it's, it's everybody's grandkids and, and uh, their, their children that I'm worried about.
1: What what do, you think, what do you think about right now? We're in a situation where the war are, are war drums are beating regarding Iran, and we're getting reports multiple ones a day about this or that atrocity that's being done over there, things that are, that are coming along that are saying, we need to attack Iran and we need to attack them now. Um, w- w- do you feel like a similar scenario may happen, like the USS Liberty, to to be the final linchpin to go into war in Iran?
4: Absolutely, uh, and, and it very and it very well may uh, may be. But I, I think since they fired up that plant, and you know Russia Russia's got its 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 paws in that as deep as they can, and uh, I believe in my own heart of hearts that uh, that plant would be uh, in rubble uh, three months ago or two months ago if it wasn't for uh, the Russians uh, telling them that hey the United States or Israel better not attack that plant we made an agreement with these people to build it and we're gonna, we're going to build more of them for them so I, I think that uh, that uh, they took pause but if they do attack it uh, what, what have they done? That They've unleashed another monster. Uh, we're going to have nuclear fallout. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, Chernobyl, you know, was mm-hmm. bad enough? What do you think this could be, you know, with nobody trying to uh, protect it uh, and, the, and these uh, Russians throwing seamen on it and all of them died from all the radiation and stuff? I mean, this is a scary, scary uh, world we live in, but why is it that, Israel always talks about war and not peace it 's always on a war footing
5: mm-hmm. and
4: and i that 's what i can, i can I 't figure i mean uh they could be at peace with the, their Arab neighbors, but they they want total domination and they want the mm-hmm. land. The well, land is the key
1: mr Turney, uh given what you experienced on on board that ship and what you've observed since then, could you see a scenario or a loan? U.S. Navy ships in the Persian Gulf could be sacrificed and could be attacked by somebody else and blamed on the Iranians to justify uh, a a full-blown war with Iran?
4: Oh, absolutely. I can see it. I can see it in a heartbeat. And uh, Admiral Mullen uh, went to uh, Israel uh, months ago and told him he didn't want to see a repeat of uh, USS Liberty Part Two. Now, whether he meant that sincerely or the, our government meant that sincerely, I don't know. But if Israel decides it wants to go to war, it will go to war, regardless of what the United States of America says or anybody else. Because I, I don't know if you've ever read a book uh, by George Ball called The Passionate Attachment or the, uh, another one written by, um, uh, it's called The Samson Option. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the Samson option is the only option that Israel will accept is uh, the whole world goes goes down with them.
5: Mm-hmm. Right.
4: So that that that's what I'm afraid of. And sure, I can see the scenario of a of a United States ship going down. I, I pray to God it doesn't happen, but it's a it's a very good mm-hmm. possibility. You know, I can see other things happening in the Middle East. You know, we're already in Iraq. And uh, Afghanistan, there could be another uh, uh, what? What a three or four hundred mm-hmm. uh, uh, sailors or Marines or uh, 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 you know get killed. I mean, the, the American people are going to go after blood, or they're going to say get out.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And I say get out. Let's leave now. You know, uh, we're, we're not going to beat mm-hmm. these people up, and and why? Why should we? All for the sake of another mm-hmm. country? Why? Right. Why did we go to war with? Uh, Afghanistan, uh, they had nothing to do with 911. They say, okay, uh, Bin Laden. Well, Bin Laden, they haven't found him. He's probably dead anyway. Mm-hmm. He has kidney disease. Mm-hmm. He has to have dialysis all the time. Yeah. He's, probably, he's probably been dead a long time.
1: Yeah, I'm nine years.
5: A, yeah. Sure, it's just
4: yeah. a Mickey Mouse thing to, uh-huh. to keep this w- war going. And I'm, I'm you uh-huh. know, I'm like I say, I'm totally sick of it. I support our servicemen and women. Don't get me wrong. I love them deeply. Uh-huh. I gave my blood for this country, but I don't want them to give their blood unnecessarily, not any of them.
1: I want to ask you, gentlemen, um, about a very touchy subject. Uh, There's been a lot of shocking information we've shared today about the whole experience, uh, what you all went through, how you were treated by your own country as well as a foreign nation, um, how it totally goes against the tide of what we hear in our media, and the fact that they basically recoil and run away from the testimony that you all have. Uh, but I have a real concern that goes even beyond our regular mainstream media, and that is the Christian community in America. We have a large Christian media uh, uh, community here. We have uh, organizations like Christian Broadcast Network, CBN, has their news group, uh, Moody Broadcast Network. There's several different news chains, mainstream media, a lot of large parachurch ministries that that are, are you know cover the news and have commentary on current events. Have any of these Christian organizations ever asked for you to talk uh, on their national forums about this uh, this incident or what the significance of it is, particularly for people of the Christian faith in America? Have they ever approached you to talk about it?
3: Not once uh, has that ever happened.
1: Phil, have you ever heard of uh, any of them pursuing it?
3: No, i I've,
4: I've never been uh, I've never had uh, their hand or their phone, uh, give me a call for uh, any type of interview. Uh, I I think that in my own personal view, uh, the the John Haggis of the world have uh, pretty much brainwashed the the beautiful Christians in this country to believing uh, in things that uh, aren't necessarily true. And it is uh, an abomination in my view. I don't know what Ron thinks, but I think he feels pretty much the same way I do
3: well uh, the worst, one of the things that really comes to mind for me and i've actually asked uh, pastor after pastor after pastor uh about revelations two nine it's always struck it's uh it's a it's a verse that i've stuck with and uh it just it it needs some explanation to me because uh, it it says beware of those that call themselves Jews and are not now, I've never really had a pretty really proper explanation on that, but I often wonder sometimes if, uh, if we aren't dealing with people like that right now. I I, I don't know.
1: Well, let, uh, me, let me ask you, Ron, about that topic. Uh, what I would interpret that to mean, because we talk a lot about Bible prophecy on this show, and I'm not going to uh-huh. speak for, for Tom over here. I still believe that there is some purpose and mission that God has for a remnant of the people of Israel that turn to Jesus Christ, sure. that there's a plan of of the, of the number that turn to Him, and only if they turn to Jesus Christ uh, will they be redeemed. But uh, what I interpret that to mean is that Jesus is warning us that there are people who are standing behind their um, their name of, of Jews, uh, maybe their um, heretical background, you know, their heritage uh, for their lineage by birth. And they say they're Jews because of that, but they really don't represent what the what Jesus and what Heavenly Father intended the Jews to be, as as a light unto the Gentiles and as people to be blessing unto the Gentile world. That these people are using the name for it, but they're not actually representing the calling that God gave them to be.
3: Actually, you said it better than than I than I could have said it myself, because that's actually that's actually my thoughts. And I, I want to tell you something in defense of what I've, what I've said there. Is, uh, 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 several years ago, I went to a reunion in, in Washington, D.C. And uh, I sat down with a very dear old gentleman who I probably don't want to bring out his name right now, but he does own a very large, or he did own a very large uh, corporation in this country, uh, country, uh shoe corporation. And... Uh, of course, the man has passed away now, but he was a dear old Jewish fellow who sat down and talked with me for most of the night at that reunion, and he had actually financed a good deal of that that particular, uh, of that reunion at that time. Mm -hmm. He told me he had, and he said that he was very concerned that some others would find out about it. But he told me, he says, I know what happened to you people. He said, "Uh, please don't, please don't, Think that every Jewish person that Jew that ever walked mm-hmm. the earth uh, acts like these people do, and right. I've never forgotten that. And I think Phil will recall that I've actually jumped on a couple of uh, times on the Liberty Hour when I've felt that uh, they, that the Jewish people themselves are being bashed as a whole. Sure, and uh, I guess I, re- I relate to Doctor James Dobson when he says there's good and bad people in all in all races, and I've always thought that, and uh, I don't hold uh, every Jewish person that ever walked the face of the earth is responsible for this, and uh, I agree a hundred percent with you of how you, uh, you know, just how you've talked about this and how, how you brought out the uh, you know, in our way.
1: Well, sorry, we have a little connection issue there, yeah. um, but but you know what I'd like for our listeners to think about what what Ron just shared with us, brother Ron is that um, here he had his life in danger. People from Israel were shooting at him, trying to kill him. They killed his buddies, killed his best friends. He had to deal with the remains of these people, and yet he's not laying it at the charge of all of the people uh, that are of Jewish heritage, even though his life was in danger. And I would like for our listeners to ask themselves and say, how many of them would be as fair-minded after that experience? and what you all have been through and what kind of example you all set of not overreaching but yet still telling the truth about who the real culprits are and what's going on so i i think this is very very convicting i think it should be to the christian community and what they're hearing from you and you know i don't want to ask theology from you you all are not theological experts you're just people who are telling the truth of what you witnessed and what you've experienced but you know the 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 christian community as you know right now is very big on supporting the military. They're very big on supporting the wars. They're promoting wars that we have right now and supporting the military. But I find it disconcerting that they will not take the time to support our soldiers, people like yourself, who gave of your life and your blood because of betrayal, not only by a foreign nation, but by our own nation itself.
4: Uh, absolutely. And I might add, you know, one thing to what Ron said. Uh, you know, uh, uh, about the, all the Jewish people. Uh, you know, now all the Jewish people are, 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 are Jews out there that, that believe in our story and, and and want our story to be told and uh, to understand we're not on a mission of hate. Uh, I haven't seen too many of them come to the plate in our defense. And... uh uh, there might be one here or, or one there, but to be honest with you, uh, I don't. I haven't seen anybody in the ADL or uh, American uh, uh, Action com- uh, Committee, uh, American uh, uh, Israeli Action Committee, come to our aid or anybody else like that or any synagogue in, in this country. So yeah, I, I do believe there are certain people in this country, certain. Uh, uh, Jews uh, that uh, understand what's going on, but they certainly haven't come on board of the USS Liberty ship and tried to help us, other than a few people. And that's that's, I mean, I'm just telling the truth. And I think that,
1: you know, I'd like to suggest to you sometime um, it would be very interesting for you to talk to some of the leadership in the evangelical community, particularly those who have an emphasis on Bible prophecy, because that's where they talk about Israel to the greatest degree. There, there is a group that meets every year in December in, in Fort Worth called the Pre-Trib Study Group, and all of the big names, nationally known figures are there, and I would love to see a Phil Turney go there and ask to speak with them for a few minutes to tell them about your experiences.
4: Well, well I can tell you one thing. Uh, Phil Turney will get on an airplane anywhere, anytime to do that, and uh, if I was invited, it, it would be my honor And uh, it's not, again, uh, none of us are haters. All we want to do is is, is get the truth out. But, again, the facts are what they are. And, you know, you, I'll tell you what, you've explained. I've been on a lot of radio shows, got my own radio show. But you have done such a fantastic job of explaining step-by-step how things work and how it worked and why it worked. And, you know, just like my book, you know, it took me a long time to do it. And I want people to read it. I just want them to read it.
1: Well, I want I them to read can. it too. Can you tell them how they can get your book? I it gets a doctor future recommendation as yeah, a must read. And what I would recommend, what I'd recommend you can do. One way that you could help uh, Phil here in the group is don't just buy a book. Buy a case of them. Now, if you want to buy one book and read it for yourself, that's fine. But then follow up and buy a case to give to your relatives. Give it to your pastor. Give a few copies anonymously to people. But find out what they have to say after they read your book. So how, how can our listeners get a hold of your book?
4: Yes, sir. Just uh, go to Amazon.com and, and type in what I saw that day. And uh, usually you don't have to use my name, but it's Phil Turney, T-O-U-R-N-E-Y. But it's pretty simple. Amazon.com, what I saw that day. Click on the uh, search engine. It'll take you right to my book. And... Uh, Believe me, I'll tell you, it is, uh, well, you read the book, and I I appreciate your endorsement on it, but it's a heartfelt book, and it it was hard for me to write, and it was hard for me to, uh, uh, you know, uh, communicate this to uh, uh, another person, and we did this all over the phone, if you can believe it. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it's uh, it's a tough read, because you speak like a soldier, uh, sometimes the, the words aren't polite. Sometimes they aren't easy to go down, particularly for the more timid in our audience. Uh, but you gotta understand this is a, a soldier whose life is at stake writing this book and who lived this for many, many decades afterwards. But you know, the Bible has a lot of tough words in it too. It has a lot of uncomfortable words and things that are said as well. And we know how Absolutely. important it is. And, uh, I, I highly recommend everybody, uh, uh, get your book and, and actually digest it. And see how this changes their view about things and what's going on. Because this is coming from an American soldier that put his life on the line for us. We just got about a minute, minute and a half at most uh, left. Uh, we, we talked a little bit here at the end about Israel. But the, the people ultimately that sold you out were our own country. Uh, and, and one thing about the uh, Christian community today in America is that they are very red, white, and blue and about us being a, a light and beacon of light to the rest of the world and what we do through our military is always the, is the best, our leadership. They know what they're doing and move forward. Do you have any kind of warning in the last minute for our listeners about their own government and about what they tell them, what the reality is and what's going on?
4: Boy, do I. Uh, the, reality, the reality of what's going on, especially in the Middle East, is such a hotbed. Uh, I don't believe anything the news uh, tells me, and I don't believe anything our leaders tells us. We are in such peril right now. The country's going broke. We're fighting two wars. Uh, we're giving all our money away. I, I would just assume or would hope that this country would wake up and say, no more aid for anybody. Let's, keep, let's get our country back and healthy. Let's get our, our country, our, our economy going. Let us let people live their lives as they should live and, and love and joy and happiness and forgiveness and uh, not believe uh, your government because your government lies to you. And I'm a testimony to that, mm-hmm. and so is Ron Kukul, and so is uh, Captain Boston, so is Admiral Tom Moore, and so are all the crew. So uh, yeah, it's just uh, you know my goal is not hate again. My goal is get the truth out, and if it sounds like hate, so be it.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I salute you, and I salute your comrades at USS Liberty. I want to thank you not only for your bravery on board that ship that day, but I want to thank you for your bravery for all the decades since 1967 that you and your comrades have even stood against the cynics within our own government trying to look out for our our country and standing sentry over us even now. And I can tell you that if things really got dark and things were bad, Phil Turner would be the kind of guy I'd want to contact to understand what's really yeah. going on. And and I'd also want you and your comrades to be the guys in front of me protecting my life against who the real enemies are. And I think you mentioned that in your book, that uh, what's it say, the beginning of patriotism is knowing who your real enemies are? And, uh, Absolutely. I, be- I believe Phil Turney and the-, and the crew of the USS Liberty knows how to figure out who the real enemies are. Uh, and I believe that you would gladly give your life for Tom and me or anybody else um, to protect us from any kind of threats out there. And I- that, that,
4: that's that's my that's my duty. That's my God-given duty. And, and God uh, God brought us all together. This is not a coincidence. We're together today. Believe me. Well. Th- this is God's will.
1: God bless you, brother. Thank you for joining us. I know this won't be the end of it. We're going to hear a lot of feedback on this one. But uh Godspeed on your continuing mission with every day that the Lord gives you.
4: Okay, I appreciate it. And if you want, put my book up on your website.
1: Okay, we'll have the link there. Uh, thank you so much, and God bless.
4: God bless you. Bye-bye.
1: We're back at FutureQuake with Dr. Future.
2: And Tom. Ugh, oh, this was a very mm-hmm. heavy show, bionic.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, Captain McGonagall, who was actually severely injured during the attack, but mm. kept on his post as mm-hmm. commander, uh, received the Medal of Honor, which is supposed to be given by the president to mm-hmm. him. He got no such citation. In fact, yep. the president refused to meet with him. He was given it in a non-public ceremony, given it without any kind of special recognition mm. or honor. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you know, none of the, sen- the senators on the uh, Foreign uh, Relations Committee, they didn't believe this story. None of the high-ups believed the story. But from the president down, covered it up, mm-hmm. and we are not to believe that that's not happening today.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Now,
1: well, uh, Mr. Turney was injured himself too. He took shrapnel. We didn't even talk about that. Mm. Uh, Merv, would you tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake?
6: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Doctor Future and Tom Bionic at Doctor Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to go around run
1: Let's late. Get out. Come back tomorrow for tomorrow's tremors. Until then, we hope your futures is always bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future.
2: And I'm Tom. I ain't taking no RFID card, even if I was in Germany, bionic.
1: Let me guess, I bet you that relates to a story you've got for us today. I'm just taking a while. Maybe, wild guess. I don't know, yes. you
2: just never know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you today uh, on Friday on Future Quake. Uh, as you know, Monday through Thursday under a normal week of Future Quake, we have a special guest like we did this week who will be with us for the duration. But Friday is what? What do we do on Friday, Tom? I know Friday you're feeling is, under the weather. Just try to yeah, muster muscle through the here. energy.
2: It's today's future review of the news tomorrow. Uh, you interrupted me. You got all the hand signals.
1: Get closer to your mic. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the tens Sorry. of thousands of listeners are saying, Tom, get closer to no, the mic. No, I'm sure they're saying. I mean, I they can see the hand just signals. Just stop talking. No, I <laughs> don't say that. About me. Maybe you meant that's what they say about me. No, May. no, 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 no. Uh, I know um, you're not feeling good. And that yeah. was, uh, I'll give you, I'll move you up from a C minus to a B minus because yeah. you're under the weather, okay? It is tomorrow's Tremors or today's review of the Futures News. And, uh, We've got some new stories to share with you at the end of the week, mm-hmm. and uh, would you like to go first, or would you I, like me to I go first? I think you
2: should definitely go first. I've went first a whole bunch of times, and I'm starting well, to feel a little guilty. I got
1: about some it. more short ones this week, although we still won't get we won't touch all of them. I'm sure that we yeah. have, but we'll we'll give it a crack anyway. But mine are incendiary, so oh great, there you go, not 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 low key like should our I back our guest. Oh, you week. mean
2: like it, like it might light on fire while you're reading? Oh, we'll
1: see. This is from CBS News, you know, that crazy uh, yeah. that, that crazy extremist group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron Paul backs Ground Zero Mosque, splitting with son Rand. Uh, libertarian Congressman Ron Paul is breaking with many of his fellow Republicans, among them his son Rand, to support the creation of the planned Islamic Cultural Center near the former side of the World Trade Center that has come to be known as the Ground Zero Mosque. Mm. In a statement decrying demagogy around the issue, the former Republican presidential candidate wrote late last week that the debate should have provided the conservative defenders of property rights with a perfect example of how the right to own property also protects the First Amendment rights of assembly and religion by supporting the building of the mosque. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I know a lot of people we hear you know, and religious groups now who talk so much all of a sudden out of the blue about Constitution. Yeah, I they're not going to like they're, him they're gone. as an expert of a Constitution talking yeah. about details. yeah. They don't want to get mired down in the details of the Well, the way that they've
2: gotten around that on talk shows is to say that Islam is now not a religion. It's a political system.
1: Oh, that's a new one on me. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, no, no. But, anyway. but I mean, I make light yeah. of that.
2: But literally, like, I've, l- I've listened to, like, five or six yeah. different talk shows coming over here, and they all had... Well, it was like somebody gave them a script or
1: something. Everyone out there who's, into, you into. know, you're like in a tea party or mm-hmm. something akin to it, and you've recently become enamored with the Constitution and taken it up, which I wholeheartedly endorse... Um, I just want to let you know Ron Paul is an expert on the Constitution when it wasn't cool. He was there supporting it for decades when nobody cared, and he knows his stuff. And sometimes people who know the Constitution can make all of us uncomfortable at times. I know Judge Andrew DiPolitano has said things at times from his legal expertise Mm -hmm. that made people uncomfortable. So let me continue here. Instead, this is Ron Paul talking, instead we hear lip service given to the property rights position while demanding that the need to be, quote, sensitive – requires an all-out assault on the building of a mosque several blocks from Ground Zero. Paul continues, he goes on to argue that, quote, the neoconservatives who demand continual war in the Middle East and Central Asia never miss a chance to use hatred toward Muslims to rally support for the ill-conceived preventative wars. You know, I wish he would just take a strong stand. I wish he would actually... You know, not I wish we be well enough.
2: I wish you could get Ron Paul on Future Quake.
1: It'd be neat, wouldn't it? We've had Rand on. But yeah. uh Uh anyway, it, it's just remarkable in these days to hear a man that will go against the prevailing tide and stand on principle. Yeah. Ed's Paul, it is repeatedly said that sixty four percent of the people, after listening to the political demagogues, don't want the mosque to be built. What would we do if 75% of the people insist that no more Catholic churches be built in New York City? The point being is that majorities can become oppressors of minority rights as well as individual dictators. This is all about hate and Islamophobia, he argues. This statement is particularly notable in light of comments on the issue by Paul's son, Kentucky Republican Senate nominee Rand Paul. Rand Paul has said that he is hesitant to get involved in a local issue, and he does not believe the cultural center should be built. The Muslim community would better serve the healing process by making a donation to the memorial fund for the victims of September 11th, he said. Um, By the way, Paul's Democratic opponent in the Senate race, Jack Conway, also opposes the center. Uh, Rand Paul got in trouble early in the election general election campaign for staking out typically libertarian positions, most notably in questioning parts of the Civil Rights Act and Americans with Disability Act. I think about what to do on private property. Mm. He subsequently adopted more traditionally Republican rhetoric and declined to embrace his father's full-throated opposition to the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, among other uh, causes important to many libertarians. Mm. Now, I sure hope Rand is not selling out, but you know what? You can take a 70-something-year-old man who's lived it his whole life, and he's not going to be bullied into something that...
2: Yeah, well, I mean, he believes what he believes. That's the one thing you can say about Ron Paul. Love him or hate him or anything. I personally, you know, love him. Well, but, it, you know, yeah. that's I know. all. I Most say. Christians
1: I talk to think he's a total creep because he doesn't want to kill people overseas. Well, that's yeah. their main beef. He doesn't want to kill people over there. So, therefore, why would, as a Christian, why would I want to be involved with a guy that doesn't want to go kill people overseas? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be fired up here, but you know, um ladies and gentlemen of the audience, you may be new to turning feature quick and you think, what in the world have I turned on, on a Christian radio show? Um if you really want to end Islam, if you want to end it and push forward Christianity. Go how about here <laughs> we'll let, let me yeah. tell you something you can do. You can either hyperventilate, call into the uh Talk shows and tell them how much we hate them and talk with the other Christian friends how much you hate them and forward emails to your fellow Christians about how uh, the Antichrist is a Muslim, you know, as well as Obama. Mm -hmm. You could do that. Or you could go down to a university, find some Islamic students who are coming here, be kind to them, invite them to your church, or just get to know them as a friend and let them know what the light of Christ is and actually become a friend. That would be another alternative Yeah, you could do. It's really easy which to do though. people, though. Just try to decide which one Jesus would do. Just sit and think about which, which of those two approaches do you think Jesus would elect if he was here and trying to address the, quote, Muslim issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like for our listeners just, just to think about that if you're confused or, or sure, whatever. Not,
2: as, far as, as far as, like, the kingdom of God goes, I don't... I don't see how there could be any other side to that issue.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I remember in the Value Voters, uh, uh, conference thing they had, which was all the, you know, Christian moral people get together, mm-hmm. and all the Republican candidates were run through, and they gave Ron Paul really, really low marks, because he'd been married to his wife for 50 some odd years, regularly involved in his church. They put high marks to people who had been married, other people had left their spouses, who had supported pro-abortion judges. But they went against him for for uh, low morals because he didn't want to go overseas and kill people that hadn't attacked us overseas. Uh,
2: they they actually gave him a, a low morality low, low,
1: Yeah, from the, what do they call it? I forgot. It's, uh, it's like con- moral conscience voters or something like yeah. that. I forget. More majority? Yeah, it wasn't quite that. but Same same kind of group. And as a person that comes from a Bible-believing Christian background and come from conservative background history, mm-hmm. I, I just don't get it anymore. You know? I just don't get it. Sure. I'm sorry. That's okay. That was a no, short I think story all I made crazy. long.
2: I think, all, I think all these people are crazy. They want to run people off the road and, you know, say that that's what Jesus would do.
1: But see, Ron is not like Rand. He doesn't have to kiss up to anybody sniffing a seat. Mm-hmm. You know he's in the, you know, coming around third base mm-hmm. to win an election. Ron Paul is seventy-something years old. He he doesn't have to change what he is. Yep. He doesn't care if they send him. They've elected him how many umpteen times in a row yep. Congress, but he doesn't care. He just stands on principle. He stands on principle when he stood alone. Yep. So Christians, is that the kind of guy that you dislike?
2: Uh, we need to.
1: By the way, uh, Jesus
2: carried a firearm. You know. It's not. Well I known. didn't know
1: that. I didn't know. Did you? Uh, um, did you know that William Gregg has talked on the same topic too?
2: I did. I believe I read yeah. part of a part of an article he, he wrote.
1: He brought up another heretical story. I believe it was about the Good Samaritan. Oh, which is another one you don't hear much about on Christian radio no. these days.
2: No, I mean it's all about the Muslim. problem. Extending a hand of protection. Yeah. It sort of reminds me. I heard somebody actually use the phrase "the Muslim problem," which yeah. is kind of scary. Because if you change one word in that, uh, you're right back to the things that you know the, the SS was saying.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. talking about the, the solution to the Jews yeah. is what we said. Yeah. yeah.
2: What do we do about the Jewish problem?
1: mm mm-hmm. so. You're exactly right.
2: Yep. Uh, so that's uplifting. Here's another uplifting one. Okay. Germany to roll out ID cards with embedded RFID. They will also be used for establishing identity online. The production of the RFID chips, an integral element of the new generation of German identity cards, has started after the government gave a 10-year contract to the chipmaker NXP in the Netherlands. Citizens will receive the mandatory new ID cards from the 1st of November. The new ID card will contain all personal data on the security chip that can be accessed over a wireless connection. The new card allows German authorities to identify people with speed and accuracy, the government said. These these authorities include the police, customs, and tax authorities, and, of course, the local registration and passport-granting authorities. German companies like Infineon and the Dutch NXP, which operates a large-scale development and manufacturing base in Hamburger, Hamburg, <laughs> Hamburger. Tell what's um, on your mind. Yeah. Uh, Germany are global leaders in making RFID security chips. The new electronic ID card, which will gradually replace the old mandatory German ID cards, uh, is one of the largest scale rollouts of RFID cards with extended official and identification functionality. Now here's sort of the little interesting thing. The card will also have extended functionality, including the ability to enable citizens to identify themselves in the Internet by using the ID card, card with a reading device at home. After registering an online account bonded to the ID card, uh, are able to do secure online shopping, downloading music, and most importantly, interact with government authorities online. So there you have
1: it. Because they don't want you to use an anonymous identity online, like a separate identity from yourself. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to track you. It's like they brought this in right when I left working for the government, the federal government. They had a new thing at every terminal that had a card swiper. Mm-hmm. that you had to be there so they knew what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I could excuse that a little bit more because it was a place of business and employment. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say they have a right to see what you're doing on company time. Sure. But now they're saying on your private time and everything, they want to make sure they know exactly who it is that's mm-hmm. doing what online. And being RFID, it sends signals out, so you could actually have yourself read when you don't even know it, like walking around
5: somewhere, Well, and the walking other, in a crowd.
2: The, the other practical application to this that I think nobody's really broached uh, is the fact that with like $10 worth of electronic parts and the right Mm -hmm. know-how, you can make your own RFID reader that can read people's info and get it all uh, and similarly broadcast that info uh, in any way you want it.
1: So now it used to be a threat that a waiter or waitress could take your card, use their own scanner Mm -hmm. when they bring your card back to the table to use your identity, so some people I know don't even, some like of my relatives don't even use credit cards for that reason. This, if you had that as mandatory identity, and they could read it without your knowledge, anybody, no way to protect yourself. Yep,
2: exactly. Maybe
1: a lead-lined uh, wallet or something.
2: Yeah, well you, but you're, but this is a mandatory card. Yeah. So you have you either yeah. have it or you don't exist in Germany. This is the
1: half a step to mark of the beast program. Is that what it's called?
2: Yeah, they actually call the they actually call the thing the 666 RFID chip. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: Wish it could be a little bit more uh, clear. Yeah. Can Can I read a story here that's actually more inflammatory than the first one I read? Great. While while I'm on a roll here, I think this whole week has been. Yeah. You know, ask Future Quake to get thrown off the air week. Okay. Well,
2: why stop? Let's let's just let's just go all the way.
1: Okay, this is from Paul Joseph Watson, Prison Planet. Mm-hmm. And before you throw stones at us, he's reading something directly from congressional documents. So mm-hmm. take it for what it's worth. Uh, Zionist lobby paid off U.S. journalists to sell Israeli foreign policy. Newly declassified documents highlighting how the Israeli lobby routinely paid off journalists in the U.S. corporate media to write pro-Zionist propaganda in support of Israeli aggression against Palestine and Iran during the 1960s, have taken on new significance after the Atlantic Monthly, which is named in the documents as being complicit in the bribing bribing scandal, recently published a cover story hyping the necessity and inevitability of an Israeli attack on Iran. Declassified files from a Senate investigation into Israeli-funded covert public relations and lobbying activity in the United States were released by the National Archives and Records Administration, NARA, on July 23, 2010, Hmm. a few weeks ago. The subpoenaed documents reveal Israel's clandestine programs for, quote, cultivation of editors, unquote, the, quote, stimulation and placement of suitable articles in the major consumer magazines, unquote, as well as U.S. reporting about sensitive subjects, such as the Damona Nuclear Weapons Facility, which is there in, in mm. Israel, reports the Institute for Research in Middle, East po- Middle Eastern Policy. The documents make specific reference to the Atlantic monthly publication and how, quote, arrangements were made with the Atlantic to publish articles sympathetic to Israel and hostile to Palestine and Iran. Mm. The files also mention other news sources, such as the Scripps-Howard chain, which is a common newswire service, mm-hmm. That the lobby planned to penetrate in order to achieve a quote breakthrough, in other words, new sources that the lobby had not yet been able to pressure and pay off as progenitors of Israeli propaganda. One of the excerpts from the files describes the achievements of so-called uh, the so-called quote magazine committee in placing propaganda in U.S. media outlets, stating quote uh, We cannot pinpoint all that has already been accomplished by this committee." Except to say that it has been responsible for the writing and placement of articles on Israel in some of America's leading magazines, close quote. The lobby was also active in assisting the US media in its cover up of the Levon affair, hmm. which centered around false flag Israeli terrorist attacks on US government facilities in Egypt. Wow. Where Israel pretended, I guess, to be to be Muslims. Israel, right, Muslim and attacked attacked yeah. attack the US. Appearing on Russia Today, Institute for Middle East, uh, Research on Middle Eastern Policy Director Grant Smith said the Senate investigation focused around, quote, looking into groups who brought $36 million into the U.S. to plant stories in the U.S. media and promote Israeli foreign policy objectives in the United States, end quote. Adding that the documents from the investigation were extremely relevant, quote, because they reveal a vast effort to divert U.S. attention from the Israeli Dimona nuclear weapons facility by saying it was merely a research center, unquote, hmm. even as Israel now obsessively hypes about the supposed threat of Iran's nuclear facilities. When the individuals responsible for the illegal program were outed, the activities of the group were merely transferred to the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, AIPAC, noted Grant, which continues today as the foremost uh, Israeli lobbying entity. The revelation contained in the declassified documents that $50,000 was funneled to the Atlantic magazine in order to derail a U.S. peace proposal Hmm. related to Palestine to derail the peace proposal. is particularly alarming given the fact that the Atlantic uh, is now, quote, on the forefront of an AIPAC drive to get the United States to attack Iran's nuclear facilities, unquote, stated Grant. Indeed, the Atlantic's cover story this month, written by dual Israeli-U.S. national Jeffrey Goldberg, okay, he's the author of The Atlantic, mm-hmm. is entitled The Point of No Return and amounts to nothing less than a manipulative public relations offensive to convince uh, readers of the inevitability and necessity of attacking Iran. Okay, now he's a Israeli and U.S. national. Mm-hmm. Okay, Salon's Jeff Greenwald savages the article pointing out that it employs familiar propaganda tactic of comparing Iran with Nazi Germany no discussion of any of this is complete without noting that it was endlessly claimed that it was Saddam who was the new Hitler in order to ratchet up fear levels and justify attack that country too how many times can we pers- be persuaded to attack the new Hitler asked greenwald it's hardly surprising that goldberg would be so enthusiastic to sell the war on iran given that he was a former member member of the israeli defense forces mm. And has spent his yeah, his entire journalistic career promoting wars based on phony pretext. Goldberg's 2002 you know, you, uh, New Yorker article, entitled The Great Terror, was credited with providing a huge boost to the B- Bush administration's argument for invading Iraq uh, and was praised by ex-CIA director and habitual war monger James Woolsey. That's his commentary. Yeah. Um, while other critics savaged the piece as a, quote, j- journalism school nightmare. Bad sources, compromised sources, unacknowledged uncertainties, and the whole text spun through an alarmist rhetoric that is neither laughable or nauseating, depending on your mood. Um, In The Great Terror, Goldberg propagandizes about Saddam Hussein's non-existent weapons of mass destruction and talks at length about the mythical ties between Saddam and Al-Qaeda, a thoroughly debunked connection that even Dick Cheney himself uh, later had to admit was completely without merit. Uh, It says in there, in five years, I believe that the coming invasion of Iraq will be remembered as an act of profound morality, quote, unquote. Goldberg wrote in 2002 a startling example of how spectacularly wrong his forecast turned out to be. Given this history of bias, agenda-driven, and inaccurate reporting, Goldberg's current Atlantic Monthly article should be dismissed for what it is, an artificially placed example of foreign propaganda written by a dual citizen with the express purpose of hyping and promoting an attack on Iran. Uh, In closing here, it says the Senate investigation ultimately failed in its efforts to regulate secret foreign media manipulation and lobbying. The AZC transformed into APAC, and today the Atlantic is virtually alone among remnants of the battered magazine industry in its return to profitability, writes Grant Smith. Jeffrey Goldberg's prolific work no doubt helps propel the bottom line, but readers should remember the origin of deceptive ways of content that washed ashore in American magazines. Mm. So, uh, you know, this is stuff that was called COINTELPRO before. Yeah. Or disinformation campaign. No, it's just
2: called reporting.
1: Well, it used to be done. Now, but, but to be fair, our CIA does the same thing. Sure. Not only in foreign press, but to us. Mm-hmm. They do it to us. The CIA was supposed to only be applied to foreign powers. Okay, to collect intelligence data on foreign powers. So mm-hmm. not only are they going and meddling when the government's foreign, but, but they're considering us the enemy. Where they're actually manipulating, you know, we've read this on the show numerous times, yeah, but data that CIA's doing, and now we have a foreign country, a foreign national, Israel, who's doing it.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: What, is the, what is the Christian community's response to that? These are declassified government now, documents. I imagine,
2: I imagine most people would tend to say, well, blessing, I, he, I will bless thee, and cursing, I will curse thee, so we better not better not do anything about that.
1: Doesn't matter what kind of lying is done, or how many yeah. bodies are floating,
2: yeah, uh you know the Levon affair that's something that we might think about doing a show on mm-hmm. you
5: know?
2: uh the Levon affair really i mean that's that's some nasty business right there, even by the standards that we uh you know of the stuff that we uncover here pretty regularly mm-hmm. um you know Israelis, they would kill Americans, yeah Israelis posing as Egyptians to kill Americans to you know. Make it look like Mm -hmm. Muslims are bad.
1: Now, that promise to Abraham, uh, given the fact that we're under the new covenant of Jesus, wouldn't it make most sense that the best blessing we could give to the children of Israel is to share the gospel and to make them disciples of Jesus Christ, their Messiah?
2: Yeah, but that would mean we'd have to get out there and evangelize them. Okay. It's easier to...
1: And even resist their opposition, like in Israel where where you have opposition. Sure, well,
2: it's easier to... I think in most people's minds to support them by, you know, sending them money or praying for them. Or,
1: or making sure our, country, our secular government sends their secular government weapons and money. Yeah, yes. That's how the Lord's work is. Well, yes. According I, I, to that. I,
2: I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's a well-thought-through position necessarily.
1: Um, but I but think if you look at my in basket, that is reinforced email after email after email. Mm-hmm and I don't see anybody saying, "Let's go share the gospel with these people. Let's give them the gift they really need."
2: Well, it gets back to what I said earlier. You know, I mean, Jesus did carry a firearm.
1: <laughs> well, you he know, the he, gonna,
2: he was going to going to bust a cap on that Samaritan woman if she didn't come around.
1: You know, the heavenly Father always said through the all the Old Testament and even prophesying toward later the last days that Israel never needed a weapon. What they needed was to embrace. Sure. Their You're father. You're never supposed to have chariots.
2: You're never supposed to have this.
1: They were supposed to embrace him. That's yeah. their missing. They're not missing an advanced weapon system. They're missing Jesus Christ.
2: I just go back to what I said earlier, you know. I mean, it's Jesus carried a firearm. And...
1: <laughs> that could be a title of your next book. Yeah. I didn't remember Sometime. that. Yeah. Uh,
2: is... it, it's in there. It's like... Okay. Matthew 26 or something. Okay.
1: And you said lay down your Uzis in the garden. Is that what you're yeah, thinking? Yeah. We've got just a little bit of time here. you got about t- two, two and a half minutes. If
2: yeah, you i got a, yourself. I got a real quick one here, a real, real quick one. Uh,
1: Philadelphia,
2: Philadelphia the city, requires bloggers to pay $300 for a business license. This is v NBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking a step closer to an eerie Orwellian state where creativity is crushed in the name of the greater good, quote-unquote, uh, the city of Philadelphia is demanding that bloggers pay $300 for the privilege of writing on the Internet. This $300 business privilege license is for all local bloggers, even the ones that make no money off their words. Uh, the city doesn't stop there. In addition to the $300 for the license to write on the World Wide Web, bloggers must pay city wage taxes business privilege taxes, and taxes on any net profits, on top of state and federal taxes, even if the blogger only made $11 over two years, reports the city paper. Blogger Marilyn Bess, whose Miss Philly Organic blog has made her a whopping $50 over the past few years, went to the city's tax amnesty program to explain that she makes pennies on her hobby. They told her to hire an accountant, she told the city paper. So
1: they've found the ultimate way to get rid of the quote bloggers yeah every power structure hates the quote bloggers it's just the people who like them the yeah, people that yeah, go that's to yeah that's that's
2: why they're so successful you know people can go and find whatever whatever particular shade of they're looking for and and be able to discern through the the news for themselves it's become the
1: latest tool to hold people accountable
2: sure yeah uh, you know which
1: they would institutions would like no more of that and they need to they've been trying to find a way to get rid of it they thought Terrorism. Mm -hmm. Well, these people are probably terrorists, writing this stuff so we can agree. That hasn't stuck yet, so Mm -hmm. just tax them into oblivion is the latest means to shut up the the masses.
2: Well, it'll be interesting to see how this sticks because I don't believe, uh, I don't know how Philadelphia can have a, um, can ask for a business tax on something that makes no money. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 obviously it's obviously they gonna tax
1: people's phone calls. Internet's a means of communication. You're gonna tax when people do a phone call or do this or that. Sure. You know, they better take down the Liberty Bell out oh, of there. Is all I got to say because it certainly doesn't belong. It's still there. there. I think it is, yeah. and it's gonna have some more cracks in it.
2: After the G20 protest where they were blasting those guys with the with the laser guns and stuff.
1: Oh yeah, that's, that's the new America. Yeah. Well, speaking somebody else cracked is uh, Merv, who could tell you how to contact us at Future Quake.
6: Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: We have to go.
2: Uh, let's get out of here then,
1: I guess. Come back for a very next get, great guest next week. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Right. Join us next time
0: as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake,
5: quake.